Hey fellow album divers, Trevor here. And before we discuss Arcade Fire's 2022 album, We, I wanted to say a few things about the release of this episode for context. Shane and I selected and recorded our thoughts on this album before the allegations came out about lead singer Wynn Butler's sexual misconduct from four unnamed individuals. For this reason, you won't hear us discuss anything regarding these incidents in the history or make any inferred connections to the music or lyrics. It's also important to note that all information about what actually took place has not and may not come to light. Wynn Butler has denied any non-consensual conduct, but has admitted to extramarital relationships with several young but of legal-aged fans. Album Divers started as a way to get closer to the music, but that has always involved deep dives into the artists themselves, as well as relevant present and historical context for the albums we select. When information like this comes to light, important conversations about to whatever extent one should or should not separate the art from the artist rightfully take place, and Shane and I have talked at length about this since creating this episode. In many ways, this podcast has attempted to do the opposite of that separation with every album we've selected. We dig a deep hole around the music in every direction. We unpack the lyrics, the artist's influences, we seek to get to know and invite into the discussion our vision of the artist that inevitably manifests as we dissect their work. Anyone who listens to this podcast's long-form content knows it would be disingenuous to claim that separating the art from the artist is something we strive to do. Yet our image of who an artist is, as comprehensive and as accurate as we try to be, could never fully capture them. Time and time again, experience has shown us that artists, athletes, and celebrities that we admire fail to live up to the image we've created for them in our minds. Regardless of how far they may detour from it, how could they match a construct we've created all on our own without their permission? The only bridge between the art and the artist is one we build ourselves, so consequently the separation between them is something only we can attain by that deconstruction. Some may not be able to break down the very bridge they've built, while others' enjoyment of the art may not require its existence in the first place. To repeat a phrase we've spoken many times on Album Divers, once the artist releases a work to the world, it is no longer theirs. It's ours to interpret. It's ours to accept or reject. And it's ours to connect to through whatever methods make us as individuals feel something beyond ourselves. If listening to this album feels different to you now in light of these allegations, either for a season or forever, it is not because you failed to separate the art from the artist. If it doesn't change your experience, it's not because you don't have a deep enough connection to it, nor is it somehow tacit approval of any alleged wrongdoing by its creator. If you are unsure how you feel at this point, or were unaware of any of these details before my long preamble, we hope you give this episode a listen to hear us break down the album as two music lovers who had months to enjoy it without this knowledge. Through complicated feelings and important conversations, Shane and I still do. As always, thank you for being on this journey with us through whatever unexpected turns have and will continue to come. And now, on to the show. Welcome to Album Divers. This is a podcast created by two music lovers who still remember listening to albums from start to finish the way the artists intended. We give history, track-by-track -track analysis, and delve into the music lyrics of some of the best albums of the past and today. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in.
Welcome to Album Divers. I'm Shane. And I'm Trevor. On this podcast, we take turns choosing albums to discuss and review. We alternate between one album released this calendar year and one that's been around a while. All right. And it was your pick this time, Shane, for a 2022 album. What are we listening to today? Today, we will be reviewing the sixth studio album by Canadian indie rock band Arcade Fire, released on May 6th, 2022. This is titled, We. It's you and I, it's do or die, suicide mission, baby, by my side, we got one life, and half of it's gone, you know I can't sleep with the television on, didn't used to get a high. All right, well, I'm really glad you picked this one, Shane. Arcade Fire is an artist that have obviously been around a while, and they've had a big influence on music overall, but particularly the indie rock genre in different ways. But they were a band that I really got into in college, and I just ate up their first three albums and then kind of jumped off the train for their last couple just for various life reasons. And when you picked this one for me to reintroduce myself to Arcade Fire and get back into them, I was pretty excited. What was your experience with Arcade Fire before picking this one? I think I had only heard their three or four popular mainstream hits. I'd never gone through a full album, so it was kind of exciting to hear that you were already a fan, and you probably know way more about them than I do. So this new album was technically my entry point to them as a band as far as listening to an album from start to finish. That's cool. That's kind of a fun pairing we've got then for this one, the two of us. I I was just engrossed in those first three albums. I was listening to them constantly. I would say Arcade Fire was probably one of my, at certain point in my life, I'd probably say they were one of my top 10 favorite bands ever. And I'd have to think back and decide where they might fit in as a whole now. But um, definitely I was very much into them for those first three albums throughout college. Um, So it's fun to kind of introduce them to you for the first time, especially as an album format, because that's part of what they do. Their their albums are very thematic and you could say conceptual and this one is no exception to that and, and those first three that I was really into were no different than that as well. So suits our podcast very well. I'm glad that you chose this one. Yeah, definitely. It's a band that's always been on my radar. I mean, I've known of the band Arcade Fire for many years, but I guess I never really explored them that deeply. I'm not sure if it was a a timing issue or I was tracking other bands instead and, and never had the opportunity to throw them into the mix or, or was never properly exposed uh, to them with those first three albums that were all very critically acclaimed. So when I heard they were releasing a, a 2022 album, I figured I would check it out. I was drawn to the album art and I I think I had read that it was broken into two sections where the the first half was titled I, and the album had a photo of a person's eye. So the, there was a cool double meaning there that I, that I picked up on with I being in reference to the self and then also the vision or, or seeing things through your own eye or, or looking inward. And then that the second half of the album was titled We and symbolized some kind of togetherness. So before even listening to the music, I think I had read about that. 
so that already grabbed my attention because of what we try to do on this podcast of finding good albums that tell stories from from start to finish with lyrics that shine as much as the music and, and bands that are truly passionate about the message they're trying to to put across so when it came out i listened right away and and i, I was i was drawn into the music immediately and listened to it cover to cover and then on repeat numerous times I, I can't remember how many times i listened to it that first week i discovered it at least 10 really connected with me and felt like it was perfect uh, for for what we're trying to do here yeah you kept this a little close to the vest actually i remember when we were prepping for our prior album you were saying yeah i'm researching for it i'm doing all this stuff for our podcast but i'm just stuck on this my next new pick i'm just i can't quit listening to it yeah i got a little obsessed there for a while yeah yeah i was like <laughs> well what is it and you were like I can't tell you. I'm not going to tell you yet. So I was just waiting for us to finally hit stop on our last recording. And I think I texted you the same day. Okay, what is it? What What is this album that you've been listening to? And I was kind of surprised just because, you know, Arcade Fire is a band that I've known for a long time. And for you to kind of just be discovering them and being like, oh, man, I can't quit listening to this. It's reminded of me when I first discovered, you know, the conceptual idea of some of these albums arcade fire does so well yeah and i didn't know you were such a big fan of arcade fire i didn't know that was one of your bands that you had followed uh through through your youth until i had told you this was my pick and i'm kind of glad i did pick it because knowing your your experiences with their first three albums and the fact that they were all critically acclaimed and and considered some of the best indie rock albums of all time you probably wouldn't have picked this as a new pick because I'm sure they're on your radar as one of the bands that maybe you would pick one of those old albums for eventually. But for me, since I wasn't so connected to their their previous work, this seemed like a good choice for me because it was my introduction to a band that I should have known a long time ago. I'm glad I chose it because, you know, even if you had listened to this in, in a few months or, or around the same time that, that I did and it was your pick, maybe you would have skipped over this thinking, well, you know, it's really great, but at some point in the future, I want to pick one of their old ones, so I'll just pass and, and put Arcade Fire on the back burner. I think that's probably exactly what would have happened, so I'm really glad that you chose this and I'm excited to dive in. And fittingly, if I'm the one that's got the experience on these last few, the way we work this podcast is the person that picks the album is the one that has to do the history. So kind of glad this was your assignment should we jump right into that part yeah definitely I, I'm, I'm glad as well because it's catching me up to speed on a band that I, that I probably should have known uh, a long time ago like I said I knew a few of their tracks going back through their discography but I didn't know any of their albums from start to finish you did something kind of cool after I let you know that we were going to do this album for my from the next pick in uh, making me uh, a greatest hits album of your your favorite 10 tracks from i think just their first three albums right or did you pull from their fourth and fifth i album just did their first well? three just because i felt I like thought. that in fairness those are the ones i know the best so mm -hmm. that's what i did yep yeah so I, I did go through that which was really cool that was that was a fun listen uh to expose me and, and i gotta say they've been a really good band for a long time since their debut album but there's there's something a little different about this 2022 album that feels different. I, I don't know if you you would agree coming back to it if if your initial impression was that this was the Arcade Fire that that you remember or if it was kind of a refreshing new sound or or, or new version of them, uh, you know, having kind of skipped over their fourth and fifth from the sound of it and then jumping back in here. Um, I don't know, maybe 
about 10 years later or so, right? Yeah, that's about right. I think I would answer that question yes to both. Does it sound like something different and does it sound like them? As hard as it might be to believe both of those things, that's something that Arcade Fire always did very well. They kept some common seam of who they were within their albums, but they were always exploring themselves and pushing into little different parts of that. And I kind of hear them continuing to do that in this album, but I, when I put it on and push play, there's certain songs where I was kind of going, oh, that sounds like something that could have been on Funeral. That sounds like something that could have been on, you know, Neon Bible or The Suburbs. So it still did feel like putting on kind of a familiar jacket or something like that from my college days. But I was excited to hear that they've continued to push themselves as a band. And, and this album does bring some special elements that didn't exist in those first three growing up. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Well, let's get right into the history then. I'll keep this kind of brief. But first and foremost, for those that don't know the band Arcade Fire, it consists of husband and wife Wynn Butler and Regine Chassain, along with Richard Reed Parry, Tim Kingsbury, and Jeremy Gara. The band has also included Wynn's brother, Will Butler, a multi-instrumentalist, up until recently when he decided to leave the band after they finished this latest album. Arcade Fire is often described as indie rock, art rock, dance rock, and baroque pop, featuring a variety of instruments, including guitar, drums, bass guitar, piano, violin, viola, cello, double bass, xylophone, keyboard, synthesizer, French horn, accordion, harp, mandolin, and even the hurdy-gurdy. And they are known for taking all these instruments, and even more, with them on tour. And their various multi-instrumentalists that play with them rotate from one instrument to the next throughout their set. Arcade Fire has performed at many of the big-name music festivals, including Coachella and Lollapalooza. And they've collaborated and performed with highly successful artists over the years, including David Bowie, who they've noted as... Uh, major inspiration to all their music, U2, Mick Jagger, and Bruce Springsteen. The band was initially founded over 20 years ago now in the year 2001 in Montreal by Wynn Butler and his high school friend and classmate Josh Dow while the two of them were attending college. Wynn was a student at McGill University and Josh attended Concordia University. The two of them would often practice at McGill, where they would soon meet Regine Chassain, a music student on campus, whom the two of them asked to join the band. Josh would eventually return to focusing on his studies in 2002 and leave the band. However, he, he did continue to collaborate on the visual aspects of the group. Other band members would come and go over the next year or so before Tim Kingsbury and Richard Reed Parry joined the group in 2003. The band, shortly after that, released an EP that is often referred to by fans as the Us Kids Know EP. But it was in 2004 that they really came to prominence after the release of their critically acclaimed debut album, Funeral. Followed that up with another studio album in 2008 titled Neon Bible, which won various awards, including Best International Album at the Meteor Music Awards and Alternative Album of the Year at the Juno Awards. 
Their third studio album, The Suburbs, released in 2011, propelled them to an even higher level of success after first debuting at number one on the Billboard Top 200 and eventually going on to receive a Grammy for Album of the Year. In 2013, the band released their fourth studio album titled Reflector, and in 2017, their fifth studio album titled Everything Now, which brings us up to their latest release here in the year 2022, five years after their previous release with their sixth studio album titled We. Yeah, it's cool to hear you recount all that and just remember where I was at all those different times, and I was remembering when you mentioned... The Suburbs being album of the year that year. What year was The Suburbs again? 2011. 2011. I mean, that was a big deal at the time. It was kind of a transitionary period where people were just starting to get into the streaming platforms a little bit more. Um, you know, we had transitioned from the beginning of their career from, you know, CDs and then the iPod into now kind of streaming platforms. And this was a time where music like this, you know, what has been put into this indie genre, and of course that's taken on many different forms, and the sound has sort of been defined over the years by kind of what we think of those early 2000 indie bands. But of course that term indie coming from the word independent, I mean, that existed much earlier than that. 60s, 70s, there were independent record label bands, and Arcade Fire came up on Merge, which is definitely an independent record label. I think they're now on Columbia. But Yeah, that's right. To have an album like The Suburbs, which I think was still on Merge at the time, win Album of the Year, it just really did show that these bands that were on these small labels were reaching a different audience through some of these social media platforms and streaming services and things that just I don't think could have happened earlier in their career. And so... In some ways, we owe the definition of what we think of as indie rock as a genre to the sound that Arcade Fire and some of these other bands in that era were creating. Yeah, it's interesting. We've, we've talked about that idea of indie rock as a genre and how it started out as being an independent band that wasn't signing with a major label. And it almost had this idea surrounding it that either you were defiant to mainstream and pursuing that big record label or possibly to other outsiders that didn't like the music that maybe you weren't quite good enough to get signed by one of them to be on the radio and, and to uh, have a sound that appeals to the masses. But now it's evolved to a sound that bands set out to create intentionally. And there's plenty of indie rock bands that are now on major record labels. So exactly. Yeah, that's kind of gone by the wayside. But like you were saying, it's bands like Arcade Fire that had that success as an independent band or, or a band on a less major uh, record label to pave the way for others to show that you can be successful doing things your own way and not jumping on with a major record label that's going to potentially steer you toward a certain sound or presentation that's appealing to to the masses. You, you can do it your way and uh, still be successful. I guess I, I didn't realize that Arcade Fire was old enough to be considered one of those founding fathers, if you will, or, or integral parts of the indie movement. I, I was kind of tracking them or categorizing them in my brain as 
a little bit more new age than that, but man, they've been around for over 20 years. So yeah, and I mean, in some ways, they 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 aren't just because even 20 years is not that long when you think about you know this is where it gets into murky waters, like you said, trying to define indie music. But in, as far as what we kind of now come to think of that indie rock sound, they were one of the earliest ones of that. And at first, they were actually that. And now they're, you know, in a mainstream, like you said, where it's bands that sound like that might pop up from Columbia Records or something like that from the beginning. So, yeah, it's, definitely. it's a tough to tough to define. But yeah, they were they were a big part of, I think, that indie music becoming more of a mainstream genre sound, you know, whether that was on purpose or just sign of the times. So if we were to pinpoint when the genre indie rock was in its earliest existence would that be sometime in the 90s early mid 90s or are we, we talking before that even i think it's just too hard to define i mean you can go back to like the buzzcocks in the 70s and you know bands like that even but that, were they using that term indie I don't, rock i don't know i i think somebody probably was call, still calling it independent rock but yeah i mean i think i think early 90s you know Bands like the Pixies and Sonic okay. Youth and stuff. I think that's where we really start hearing people saying, hey, do you listen to indie rock music okay. and, and being kind of part of a scene in that era? But yeah, and that sounds way different than this, you know, that indie music in the early 2000s. So it gets a little murky. It's hard to define at all. Something else I found fascinating, getting back to the subject matter here with Arcade Fire, it was not until their third studio album that they really reached that mainstream success of being awarded with album of the year at the Grammys and other awards. I know their first two albums received awards within smaller niche uh, music awards festivals, but it wasn't until the suburbs in 2011, seven years after their first, that it seemed like, hey, we really made it. I I think that I, they were nominated for three or four Grammys that year. They won Album of the Year. I, I don't know if they won any more, but I, I think they had a bunch of nominations. And getting back to what, what I was saying about what I found really fascinating about that is that when you look at their entire discography and you, you look at lists of best indie rock albums of all time, I, I think Funeral is is in that conversation from, from what I'm reading. And most people probably would regard that as their their best album uh despite the fact that it didn't win all the awards uh that the suburbs did so that's not to say that the suburbs wasn't as good or or on par with with their first two but it's almost like that's when everybody else caught on that hey this is a good band that's when outside of their their followers and the indie rock community the pop culture said, hey, Arcade Fire, they they got some good stuff. And it's almost like that was that was kind of the album where people accepted them and said, Okay, yeah, you're you're definitely one of the top bands regardless of your sound or genre or label or whatever. You know, you're here and you've made it. But but then when you go back and look, you you know, objectively might say, Well, well Funeral was better and maybe Neon Bible was too and uh people just, you know, weren't paying attention. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. I remember that was a time in my early 20s when really loving those first two albums and looking around at the people that I knew that were also listening to them and going, yeah, these are my people. And then having to share the suburbs like at the water cooler with a guy that was also into Limp Biscuit or something like that. And I was just kind of like, <laughs> am I still allowed to like this? <laughs> Maybe these aren't my people. 
<laughs> yeah, can this can this band still be part of my identity, or am I going to lose street cred here? <laughs> and it was really quickly, you know, when you when you push play on the suburbs, it's a little more polished, but it's it's really good, and there there's no getting around it. And um, I didn't have to worry about that too long. But yeah, there is a bit of that where you're like, is this still an indie band? Am I still allowed to like this at the time? Yeah, it's interesting. A, a band has to become good enough that people outside of that that cult following or that niche genre appreciate them and and expose them to the rest of the world because you have you have to have good music for the general population to say hey i want to listen to this stuff not that the general population is always the best judge of of what truly good uh, music is in my opinion but for a band to maintain their their followers and support from the people that liked them when they were first coming into existence to then grab the rest of the world as well and not have to deviate too far from their sound that's that's a pretty special thing you know like we we see a lot of bands that really evolve and and almost cater their their new sound to what's gonna what's gonna make money and what's gonna be received well on the radio maybe they focus on making a few big singles instead of putting their effort into the album concept or they do something that's that's against their character or or, or their true identity um, for the sake of something else. You know, there, there's some other intention of of what they're trying to do, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, we all want to be successful and and make money. We want people to like our stuff. But when you can stay true to who you are and do all that other stuff as well, like Arcade Fire has done over the years, you know that that's pretty rare. I think for people to be able to do that. Yeah, I th- I think that that's said very well. I would agree. Well, let's briefly introduce their latest album that we're going to talk about today, and then we'll get into the track by track. So as I mentioned, their 2022 album, We, is their sixth studio album. Uh, it was released this year on May 6th. We first heard about it back in April of 2020, shortly after the pandemic had begun when Wynn Butler posted a letter to his Instagram account stating that he had begun working on a new album before the COVID-19 pandemic and that he had continued writing through the, the lockdown period. He went on to say that he had already written a song titled Age of Anxiety prior to us learning about the pandemic and that many of the themes he was exploring in his music fell in line with the circumstances surrounding the pandemic and social isolation and other elements that stemmed from the situation we've been in over the past couple years and the music that he was already creating evolved even more and was pushed in the direction of representing the current times that that we're facing and, and have been dealing with over the past few years in march of 2022 the band sent fans postcards with the band's logo with a note that said we missed you musical notations as well as an image of an eye with the word unsubscribe written below the album was recorded across three different locations including new orleans louisiana el paso texas and Mount Desert Island in Maine, where Wynn's mother currently lives. The album name comes from Russian dystopian novel We, written by Yevgeny Zamyatin. It debuted at number six on the Billboard Top 200, which I think extends a a streak of all of their albums debuting on the top 10, I want to say. I could be getting that wrong, but I read something about... If not all of them, majority of their albums have debuted on the top 
200. So it's it's a band that's always had a, a, a good following and people have always been curious about what music they're going to release next. I wanted to share a brief quote from lead singer Wynn Butler before we get into the track-by-track discussion. In an interview about this new album, he stated, My dream for the record is that people have the time to listen to it. There's a lot of songs that I love, but the shit that really changed me as a person was always a record. If you can try and get into that headspace of where an artist is coming from in an LP, it's worthwhile. That's an awesome quote from him. Fits our mission so well, so let's do it. First track is called Age of Anxiety, Part 1. of anxiety uh what a great song i could feel the collective pain in this one um, we are definitely living in a state of unrest by the pandemic climate change violence um, there's just so many things in this world that are creating stress and fear and then we have got the frosting on top that we all know about that uh, social media is uh, this thing that was presented to us as a way to connect, but actually has that hidden agenda to get us to consume more, to create separation. All this leads to is more suffering. And so we know about this problem. We need to address it. Uh, We need to connect with each other and and heal. We all want to be seen. And definitely not going to happen with social media. It's something that happens when we connect with each other face to face and then the beautiful part about this song is is the last the last lyrics it's all about you it's not about you that even feels like anxiety because we are all so concerned with if, if someone is thinking or talking about us or is this about me or not or So from the get-go on this album, we hear a heartbeat in the background just starting this off and these sounds of a piano. So it's slow, that heartbeat adds this percussive element, but it's also really interesting commentary on anxiety. It's this fear of the unknown, this sort of anticipatory fear rather than terror, which would be like something that's happening in the moment. There's a little bit of that more as we progress, but at the beginning it really is anxiety provoking, this, this heartbeat. I actually have a question in my notes here asking you if that thumping sound in, in the back sounds like a heartbeat um, to you, a, a rapid heartbeat. I wasn't totally sure if that's what it's supposed to represent, but I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that as well. Um, it's not the typical lub-dub, lub-dub sound. It's more da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But if you were to equate that to a, a pulse, to a heart rate, it's super fast. I mean, it's it's way beyond what a normal resting heart rate 
should be. So it definitely provokes that feeling of anxiety where, where the tension is building and, and you're just kind of on edge uh, a little bit. And what an opening line to an album. Man, that really grabbed my attention. It's the age of doubt, and I doubt we'll figure it out. That kind of stopped me in my tracks. The first time I listened to this album, I was on my drive to work, and I got through the entire album before I went into work that day. I, I think I may have waited in the parking garage to finish the last song. The, the album's right around 40 minutes, and my drive is about 35 or something like that. But that was my first experience listening to this, and man, it woke me up right away and had me paying super close attention. You know, that idea of losing hope or the ability to to figure something out, to overcome whatever doubt or uncertainty is troubling your mind is, is really where anxiety develops, I think. You know, doubt alone is okay. It's normal to have those feelings when new situations uh, present themselves to you or you're in foreign territory or, or there's different options or, or, or something that's unknown. It's completely normal to have doubt and that forces you to think about things. So if, if you didn't doubt stuff, you'd be kind of reckless and just go with your gut all the time and never really stop to, to consider your options. But when that doubt transitions to a lack of hope or, or control over the situation where you kind of feel helpless, it's that lack of control or helpless feeling that starts to build up and over time it can become overwhelming to the point where you don't see a way out and and i think inevitably that's what leads to people feeling anxious and that's what can slowly grow over time potentially to uh, a borderline panic attack uh, that i think this song kind of hints at uh, as we go along with the with the building of the music and and uh, the increased tension uh, that we feel yeah the anxiety it's the doubt and then coupled with that it's just it's the inaction and just the the feeling like you're not going to be able to figure it out as the words state and then you throw in there he he alludes to little parts of maybe COVID 19 with fight the fever with tv i think that's what all of us were doing when we were sheltering in place as netflix was going strong in most homes but we were all sort of looking halfway at the screen and halfway at our phones and news stories and one eye sideways out the window wondering mm-hmm. if something was going to come in and get us and so you know you're fighting the fever literally with with entertainment but nobody's sleeping we're all taking pills for anxiety we're all on edge about what's going to happen and as you mentioned he started writing this album before the COVID-19 pandemic so all of those elements of isolation and losing ourselves into the ethos in social media you know, some of that stuff is written in here too and even in that pre-chorus of when i look at you i see what you want me to trying to create an image of ourselves online that maybe it's who we want to be or just who we want people to think we are rather than who we actually are that's something that we didn't have to contend with for social media and the like yeah i'd be curious to know if he wrote that line fight the fever with tv before or after the pandemic started because he said he had this song written but maybe he tweaked it a little bit but certainly tv social media anything other than facing reality becomes a form of distraction which can be a stress reliever i like that line and the pills do nothing for me you know all, all these people being treated for anxiety and depression by giving them a pill and, and trying to alter their brain chemistry but you know ultimately for for him as he's saying here and many people they they don't work because you're not addressing the underlying issue. You're, you're treating the symptoms. I wonder, too, like you said, if he did write the line, fight the fever with, with TV before 
the COVID-19 pandemic, how eerie that would be looking back at that line. Oh, for sure. I listened to him talking about how he doesn't really believe in ghosts. And I was thinking about that with the upcoming line where he says, it's a hologram of a ghost, an age of mirrors. It's a maze of mirrors. It's a hologram. to ask him, how can you not, given you know, some of what you write about and the fact that he lives in New Orleans now, which is just rife with these kind of ghost stories and spiritual elements, all the voodoo and things like that. He said, I believe in music. He said, I, I believe music does somehow summon some of these things. And so I wonder if that would be an example of where music did that for him, if it was written before that. Yeah, it certainly could be. And what a crazy thing to reflect on af after the fact, almost as if you were foreshadowing the events to come. But, you know, like a lot of great songs and albums that we have discussed in the past, a, a good set of lyrics is potentially specific to one person, but general enough that it's going to appeal or allow everyone listening to relate to it in some form or another. So whether it's directly correlated with COVID-19 or the social media craze of the last decade or two, it certainly makes you think about your own situation and challenges you to consider some of those deeper meanings or extensions of what we're dealing with as a society. You know, you mentioned how social media has led to people presenting themselves in a way that they want others to see that's maybe not a, a true or a full representation of who they are. Maybe it's just the best parts. And everybody's trying to compete and compare themselves to others and paint a picture of maybe who they want to be themselves or who they want others to view them as. And that that really distorts reality and it impacts our ability to have real connections with people because we don't have a true sense of, of who they are. And if we're just doing it through posts and videos on the internet or through texting, it takes away from that real genuine moment or, or, or connection of saying things off the top of your head or being who you are without really thinking about how it's going to be received or, or modifying it too much. It, it's not a, a full uh, picture. It's it's just a, a snapshot. And, and then that leads to people thinking that maybe that is somebody's reality and, and their life looks way better than mine because they're only showing you a part of it. And then you feel this pressure to justify your worth uh, to the world or to yourself or to your friends and and you start to inflate your image by highlighting uh, certain aspects to try to keep par with with society and then over time it just grows into this superficial world you know i mentioned in the beginning there's that sound that sounds like a heartbeat and it felt like an anticipatory fear or anxiety and then the music progresses at this point um, regine's vocals become more front and center on the refrain and they trade that heartbeat percussion for kind of a breathy, almost like somebody's running from something. song had changed. I knew there was a part two. We'll get into that in a second. And me with my headphones on, not looking at my phone, I thought, okay, we've gone to anxiety part two. 
And it wasn't until listening to the song a few times that I realized we're still on part one here. And then she's saying, got to get this spirit out of me, this anxiety that's inside of me. You almost feel like there's at least now where there was some inactivity or arrested fear that now at least there's some movement towards something at this point. Yeah, that tempo really picks up around that three-minute mark of the song. And, and I agree, it, it does almost sound like a new song. It's a drastic shift in the the tone and, and, and demeanor and the sound, of course, because we, we switch vocalists as well. That's the part that I was alluding to earlier that I think almost feels borderline panic attack. The anxiety, mm-hmm. the thought has manifested itself into a, a, a physical expression, an outward expression. So in the beginning, we... We hear the heartbeat, which if you're in a room with somebody who's anxious and their heart's racing, you don't you don't know that. But when you're around somebody who gets stressed to the point that they're breathing heavy and maybe they're sweating a little bit and they're pacing around and you, you start to see that anxiety turn into something more than that, you know, it, it feels different. You know, whether, whether you're by yourself and you're experiencing all of this alone or, or somebody else is witnessing it, there's something about that transition from doubt to anxiety to a panic attack. Yeah, panic attack. That's perfect description of what this sounds like. I didn't think about that. I, I thought of somebody kind of running from something, but it actually still does feel like somebody trapped somewhere, but they're just having now an outward expression not an inward one and and yeah if it, it sounds like a panic attack i think that's a perfect description and remember i was listening to this on my way to work for the first time so as i'm driving through rush hour traffic this pace just has me wide awake and and feeling alive but also stressed and a little tense and kind of looking inward reflecting on my own life and my experiences with some anxiety in these kinds of situations over the years it 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 just felt really close you know, it just seemed uh, like like the music and the words were were genuinely describing uh, this experience that I'm sure all of us have gone through in some form or another. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I want to back up just a bit in the song because there was something that I wanted to, to highlight and then also ask you about because I was kind of curious of the meaning. Before that tempo change, there's the stanza in the song that says, so we keep it all inside and hide it deep in a drawer. Say your prayers tonight, someone finds it after the war. You know, so not only are we anxious and getting really stressed out, we're, we're keeping it to ourselves. We're not seeking help, we're not reaching out, which further builds on this theme of social isolation. You know, we, we certainly wouldn't want to put something like this out on our social media and disrupt that image that we've created that we want others to view us as and maybe even one step further we're not even going to our close friends or family when we're having these issues we're keeping it to ourselves we're hiding it deep in a drawer i thought maybe that was representing a journal somebody sitting in their room isolated alone writing down all their thoughts instead of going and talking to somebody about it say your prayers tonight i wasn't quite sure what that meant and then someone finds it after the war so you have all these thoughts, you write them down somewhere, you keep them to yourself, whatever form that may be. But then after the war, somebody finds this this memoir that you've created of the experience you were going through. Well, as the album progresses, it gets into this apocalyptic scenario that's almost societally cleansing, but we do have 
imagery coming forward of it all crumbling around us and that being you know, traumatic, but also somewhat necessary. So I think it's a little bit of a foreshadowing for that. Okay, yeah, I was I was trying to connect it to this specific situation of this person sitting and journaling and how somebody would come upon that later. But yeah, like you said, we don't want to give too much away uh, with the rest of the album that we're going to get into here. But that is, I guess, in a way foreshadowing this apocalyptic idea. So I think in the context of the album, that's partially what this is meant to do but I think you could take it by itself of just like after the war maybe in a dark sense that could be somebody finds this after you after you pass away or after you succumb to this mental state that you've put yourself in or that That, that's what I was wondering I, I, I didn't know if I was reading into it too much by that but if it's somebody's personal battle or war and right they never talk to anybody about it they just write about it in their journal until it's too late and then somebody stumbles upon it and finds that letter or journal that's describing all these all these thoughts and feelings but more in that apocalyptic sense of what this album is going to expose us to as we move on further here perhaps it's the new world or this new group of people that come in after the world has self-destructed by all this isolation and they read about these people's experiences near the end and and then maybe that's going to be somehow enlightening to them or, or serve as a, you know, let's not get to that point kind of thing if we're starting over here. That's not the way to go because it doesn't end well. Yeah, I think it could be all of those things, yeah. Nothing lost, alien, on my spaceship in the So then moving forward in the lyrics after we get that tempo change that we talked about a minute ago, I like the line, another lost alien arriving on my spaceship. You know, it's almost like saying that we're all in this together. We're all socially isolated. Maybe there's some underlying meanings of a lack of direction in life or too much inward focus on ourselves and not paying attention to others and and, uh, emphasizing the importance of human connection and and being in something together, but we're all on this huge spaceship, but yet at the same time, we're not together. You know, I picture a thousand people on a huge spaceship or or plane, and they're all staring at their phones. You know, they're all going to the same place, and they're so close to being together. They're right next to each other, but they're so wrapped up in their own image, social media, staring at their phone, playing games, doing anything other than connecting with humans the way we used to many decades ago. I didn't think much about that line, but I did see that someone had thought that maybe it was an allusion to David Bowie's Space Oddity, which of course is a story about an astronaut in isolation that eventually is lost out in space. I think I read that too. There's a couple references to David Bowie, I think, in the album. I think so, and even some that yeah, I, I thought potentially could be. I know he was, a, as you mentioned, in history, a really big influence. They got to even play together. Bowie was a big fan of Arcade Fire as well. There's another set of lyrics that kind of add to that idea of sitting in your room by yourself, writing in your journal instead of talking to other people. And it goes, and we can't stop crying. And we really think we mean it, but the tears just fall on the sheet. You're isolated alone, crying. Your tears are falling on the sheet instead of maybe somebody's shoulder, you're not with anybody. You know, it's a way either of saying that nobody's listening to you because, you know, they're all in the same situation. Everybody's so wrapped up in themselves. There's nobody to turn to when you need them or possibly it's 
saying that the individual is not reaching out uh, to others, that they're so wrapped up and they, they just don't want to expose these darker sides or let people know that they're having these difficult times. They want to maintain their image that they don't go to others uh, when they need help. They, they simply lie awake at night and, and cry without anyone there to help them. Yeah. You know, and it goes on to say just another lost soul trying to feel something. You know, you have all this anxiety and stress. You go through this panic attack and then it kind of leaves you, you know, just feeling mush. You know, you don't have any feelings or sensations. You're kind of just there existing and trying to get by and, and you want to feel something better, something good. And you're kind of seeking that. But it's this it's this revolving door, this hole that you just kind of get trapped in and, and you can't uh, get out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh oh, I think Will's waking up. I think it's morning. No uh, shoot. Yep, he's up. So wrap up this song quick. Yeah, if we can get it um, quick, he'll he'll be okay for five minutes. Okay. The last thing I wanted to mention on this song near the end that really ties it all together for me and paints a picture of that situation we're we're dealing with in having the anxiety and not really knowing what to do about it and trying to figure it out but also kind of feeling helpless it's that line where he says it's all about you but then the refrain is it's not about you and it kind of goes on you know it's this idea that everyone is fighting for attention whether it be in person in life in their job or if it's on social media uh, comparing themselves to others and trying to establish this importance or significance in the world and that leads to this feeling of anxiety, you know, the, the problem is that you think it's all about you, but maybe the, the solution is that you need to realize that it's actually not about you, or at least not as much as you think it is. If you can accept that, then maybe you can strip yourself of that anxiety, remove that pressure that you're feeling to control the situation and go on without uh, feeling overwhelmed uh, by everything. And I, I think that ties back to the first line that opens the song, it's the age of doubt and I doubt we'll figure it out. You know, it, it's scary to to think the doubt may always be there, but in a way, I think it can kind of be relieving too when you accept that it's going to be there no matter what or, or maybe that others are going through it as well. So you could add that I doubt we'll figure it out by ourselves. You're blowing Will's mind right now. <laughs> it's my radio voice. Good morning, Will. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I know... In my own life, I oscillate between feeling like I want to matter more and I want to matter less. Yeah, because well there's sometimes where you just kind of feel like you want to disappear into it. But you're right. If we were all sharing that with one another, it would feel less isolating because everybody feels that way. Right, Will? <laughs> you're not feeling isolated, are you, buddy? We're here with you. Oh, there's a smile. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's move on to track two. This is also Age of Anxiety. This is part two, parenthetically, Rabbit Hole. Like the first track, this one also starts off with very strong piano that 
pulls you in as the listener. It's a little bit slower with some long pauses in there. It, it almost has this reflection type sense, maybe digesting the first track and slowly moving through with your thoughts to this next part of anxiety. I really like the yeah uh, in the background. I, I think that's probably Regine uh, that's doing that. Mm-hmm. There's almost like this this uh, vocal quality of you know, tell me more. I'm intrigued by this rabbit hole that you're speaking of. Like yeah, yeah. Like oh, okay. You know, he's saying rabbit hole. Yeah, almost like they're both kind of intrigued about going down this rabbit hole, even though we know it's, it's not referring to a, a good place to get lost, uh, in, in this sense. Uh, but that, that whole idea of going down the rabbit hole can take on a positive or negative meaning. It first appeared in Alice's adventures in Wonderland in Lewis Carroll's 1865 classic novel but the the idea is this metaphor that you're able to transport yourself through this hole to uh, a completely different place either this wonderful fairy land or potentially a troubling surreal state of mind or situation and in this sense we know that it's about anxiety so they're they're kind of going down this rabbit hole of racing thoughts and emotions and uh, confusion that ultimately is not a place you want to get wrapped up in. Rabbit hole. Yeah. Plastic soap. Yeah. So rabbit hole. Yeah, rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those um, beginning lines that you mentioned that are followed by, yeah, it's rabbit hole and then it's plastic soul. And we were just talking earlier today about how that's actually a reference to, potentially, to another David Bowie era in the mid-70s around an album that he released called Young Americans. And this was an album that was very much trying to venture into the U.S. market and trying to absorb some of the funk and soul elements of music of the black artists of the day. And it was David Bowie, of course, very self-aware that he was venturing into this kind of Muzak realm, trying to appeal more to the masses and and borrow some of these things from artists that were a little bit more well-established. And as a white guy, trying to do some things that he maybe didn't have much business doing, but it was okay because he was David Bowie and he was self-aware of it. And when Butler here is kind of bringing that imagery back, but it's more of a flippant illumination of commentary on where we have left ourselves down this rabbit hole with social media and the pandemic and political unrest and all the things that are going on. And so I think Plastic Soul here is kind of talking about the emptiness that maybe our souls have found themselves in after losing some of the things that we used to have as far as connection is concerned. And along those lines of social isolation, COVID, political unrest, those things you mentioned, and many more, this song continues to elaborate on that idea of us being disconnected and and going down this rabbit hole of all of the superficial things uh, in this world. There's some lines that 
I had written down from the song that popped out, somebody delete me, you know, referring to potentially being unfriended on Facebook or maybe a slight reference to the, the cancel culture, how, you know, you can be deemed irrelevant. That one stood out to me. There was, there was another line, new phone, who's this? You know, we've all been there. And in some cases, it's somebody actually getting a new phone and they lost their numbers or something. But I've, I've reached out to people over the years, whether it's a former coworker or connection or, or friend you haven't talked to in a while. And you get that text back saying, hey, who's this? Lost, lost my phone or, or lost my numbers or something like that. And most of the time, maybe it is kind of genuine, but but you have to question whether maybe they just deleted your number and that's a way of dodging admitting that they did that it's kind of a cop-out like oh i got a new phone who's this so again it's just showing how how fragile connections and friendships can be you can be really close to somebody one year and then a couple years pass you go different directions and and uh you know you, you find out maybe that bond wasn't quite as strong as it once was this idea of Arcadia apocalypse, which in Greek terminology uh, refers to a place with characteristics in line with utopia. Uh, and so th- the idea of that being an apocalypse, it, it's kind of implying that what we used to know, that utopian life is really no longer here, that we've moved on to a, a, a new way of, of being. It's obviously not quite as good because it's leading to a lot of anxiety and disconnection and so there's there's all these unique ways of elaborating on that idea even further uh, in this age of anxiety part two yeah that's right there's those greek mythology references in this one the prior to that line there's also the kid icarus line and i knew icarus is like the wax wing you know, flying too close to the sun and and falling. But the line in this song is blowing on the cartridge of Kid Icarus, born into the abyss. This was a Nintendo game released in December 19th of 1986. So I think I was thinking about that when you were talking about the new phone, who's this part, and how it's like our connection to higher things or other people is through some physical invention of the times. So a kid in the 80s is connecting to these Greek gods, but it's through this plastic disc that he's got to blow on to see if he can get it to <laughs> fire back up. I mean, it's it's such a that's such a contrasting image of what the game is actually depicting and how somebody might have taken this story in you know even 20 years prior. And then the new phone, who's this? It's like this is your friend. This is somebody that you've communicated with, but you lose that physical invention, the telephone, and they disappear right with it. You know, they're they're only connected to you because of this 21st century piece of plastic in your hand. And so both the video game cartridge and the phone seemed like things that are supposed to connect us to something greater that really are kind of keeping us at arm's length from it. It's interesting to think about that. I immediately thought when you when you uh, said how if we lose that, that phone or social media, Facebook, how we would lose connection or the ability to reach out to that person rather quickly if we were to go back to the days when you had a pen pal and you would you would sit down and write a letter and send it in the mail and wait a couple of weeks until you'd hear back from them and that that was your way of communicating if you didn't have a way to reach out to them via phone maybe international 
and and didn't have good ease of of access to communicating or even before cell phones if we think about the extra challenge of trying to connect with somebody you had to call their house phone and first hope that they were home and secondly hope that they weren't talking to somebody else and you get a busy signal or that they were free and could answer their phone so in in a way phones and social media have allowed us to keep in touch with so many people that we wouldn't have otherwise in the past so i think there's definitely value in that i i i still have a, a general idea what a lot of my high school and college friends are doing and former coworkers. you know i've traveled a lot and made a lot of friends some good friends some close friends over the years that i still text on a regular basis and talk to occasionally but then i have others that i, I mainly keep in touch with through social media and if, if i didn't have that outlet then maybe i would just kind of lose sight of them but also by having that outlet and being able to connect with so many people on a very small level it almost is a hindrance to connecting with a handful of people on a really close level because your energy and attention span is being divided by 150 people whereas back in the day maybe it was only 15 people so you know maybe you're missing that really close genuine trusting connection where you really know somebody to their core but in return you have multiple connections on a more surface level with 10 times the amount of people so it's it's kind of a give and take and there's good and bad to both those situations yeah i guess it's kind of a quantity and quality type of scenario right. but yeah you, mm-hmm. you you lose something when you gain something else for sure but i i do feel like having genuine face-to-face conversations and connections with people outside of social media texting and and all of those things that aren't quite as close are tremendously more valuable in the long run and impactful on your on your life than only having those internet relationships or phone conversations with people yeah you know i'm struck as you say this though that not to break the third wall here but um you and i are sitting here on a zoom call staring at each other in across you know a different time zone right now and We've got a close relationship, and we've bonded over music, and we've had this project going now for you know, two and a half years. I've met you once in real life. Yeah, that's a good point. And it just doesn't right. feel like that, you know? So, I mean, yeah, I, I think yeah. if I saw you in person and we were hanging out again, it wouldn't feel odd. And a lot of that right. is because of this social media, you know, this particular form. But this is a very unique, this is not the typical connection that somebody makes using devices. So, th- there's definitely value in... I don't think social media is, is is completely to blame for the the lack of connectedness of of people and and uh, responsible for hindering the communication, the authenticity of of people, and the desire to genuinely connect and, and care for your neighbor and reach out. I think it's more the distraction piece that that develops from that. I mean, I think from a social interaction standpoint alone social media allows us or affords us the ability to have more positive connections with people if we use it in the right way but the the problem is that people distort their image so that it's not a true reflection of their reality like we've talked about here already and they get lost comparing themselves to other people getting wrapped up in random videos mindlessly scrolling through stuff that's really not that important and 
inevitably waste time doing things other than truly connecting with people. So it's not necessarily the platform that's to blame for all of it. It's kind of a little bit on the shoulders of humanity to not abuse the technology and to to cherish the 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 good that we get from it while also resisting the temptation to get lost in some of the negative aspects of it that can lead to anxiety, stress, fear, depression, all all of those uh, things that we know have become more of a problem because of it. Yeah, it's just so hard. I mean, ultimately, we do have control, I suppose, over our decisions. But at the same time, human beings created these algorithms that know exactly what we're going to become addicted to and how we're going to click. And it's tailored exactly to us. You know, my algorithms are different than yours to get me to buy something or to get me to do something and I can resist it. But eventually something's going to, someone's going to sell me something because of an an algorithm at some point. So I feel like even being self-aware, it, it doesn't completely inoculate you from the pull of these things. yet but this song clearly has music accompanying the lyrics that feel like anxiety as well it it starts out a bit slow similar to age of anxiety one and it builds throughout the song and it feels like the the tension and the pace is slowly surmounting and by the end of the song it, it it's a little overwhelming i i was really drawn into that part where win and regine were both singing their parts fairly strongly and i I think the volumes of the the two parts were pretty close. I, I don't think it felt like one was shining and and the other was in the background. At at some points, maybe in this song and other songs in the album, it is that way where one is supposed to be the focal point and then and then somebody else is is in the background echoing something else. But by the end of this song, it almost feels like they're they're fighting or competing for attention or they're they're both lost in their own worlds. But they both sound anxious. What they're singing about feels like anxiety. And I think this comes full circle to the first song where we were talking about this large group of people on this ship together, but they're all going toward this place that's provoking this anxiety and they're all isolated from each other. So despite the fact that they're physically in the same place, they're not really connected. There's a line in in this song that literally says going on this trip together and it makes me think it's trying to depict this idea that we're all stuck in this this world of social isolation driven by social media and the fast pace of the world and and the lack of sitting down and having a a face-to-face conversation because of all these other means of of connecting and you know as we've mentioned they're they're not necessarily all bad just different and uh can potentially have some some negative byproducts from them but we're all on this trip together but yet we're isolated at the same time so there's it's kind of like an oxymoron yeah i guess that does fit what you're talking about whether both their voices are just as present but it's like they're talking past each other or they're not really connecting even though they're both there it's almost like they're in separate corners of a small enough room that they should be able to hear each other and 
they probably both need the other person to listen to them, to be there for them, to help them through this, but they're so wrapped up in themselves and, and not seeking advice or comfort from another individual that they both just continue to go down this rabbit hole when maybe the answer to the the question or the solution to this problem is is standing right there and it's somebody that's going through the same exact thing that if they were just to sit down and say hey let's be there for each other let's figure this out you know maybe it wouldn't feel so isolating and um, helpless yeah that's really cool i didn't really think about that while i was listening to this but that is very fitting with what the sound is like well before we move on from this one i have a couple more david bowie thoughts on this one Awesome. The first is, did you read that when they were first performing this song live, it was in New York, it was before the album came out, and I want to say maybe it was early on when the pandemic was going to allow them to finally play again, it was in a venue in New York that they had last, they were there, they had played with David Bowie on stage. And so when Butler made some comment about that and kind of you know looked up into the audience or something like that and when, as they started the song Regine I believe it was is on the keys and something just sort of cut out and they both just kind of looked at each other I think it was just like reverb or something on the keyboard and I don't know that anybody else really noticed but the band certainly did and Wynn was talking about this story in an interview and this is where I think I mentioned it in the prior song that they asked if he believed in ghosts and he said he didn't believe in ghosts but he believed in music and the interview was was like how can you not with something like that and living in new orleans and he just said you know that's just that's the version of ghosts that i believe in but david bowie's ghost or spirit or musical influence in one way or another seemed to have an effect the first time they played this song live i think i read a quote that said i don't believe in ghosts but i do believe in david bowie I think that's uh-huh. what it was. I think that's yeah. what it was. I think I misquoted it. Yep. I, I thought yeah. that I thought that was pretty creative to say. I, I I don't believe in this idea of spiritual beings, but I do believe that that David Bowie has the capacity to be that something that I that I don't you know fully embrace the the idea of you know. I mean that that's a pretty big compliment to how highly he regards uh, David Bowie and his powers. And then on verse two where it says dad built the labyrinth and we were born in it i think he's talking about whatever higher power maybe created this maze that we're in in our lives but you know one of david bowie's most famous roles is in the labyrinth and in some ways he's sort of like a father figure to them musically i think so to say dad built the labyrinth and we were born in it oh cool did sort of make me think about david bowie once again i don't know if he meant it that way or not but it came to mind oh wow yeah i I wouldn't have made that connection that's pretty neat Well, as we transition out of Age of Anxiety 2, there's a section of this song called Prelude, which, if you're listening to it digitally, is its own track. On the CD or vinyl, it's listed as just a section of Anxiety 2 because the song segs very smoothly into it. And it's the sound of, it sounded to me like buildings 
crumbling in the background, and that seemed to fit with the next series of songs, which is called End of the Empire, we'll talk about in a second. But it sounded like maybe some voices in the background. I, I pictured it like people sort of cowering while maybe their city was being destroyed, bombs mm, going off in a war. That's what I was envisioning at this part as it segs into the theme of the next several tracks. That's interesting. That, that certainly could be. I, I picked up on that whispering in the background, too. I wasn't sure what they were saying. It just sounded like random chatter. But the the part that maybe you're referring to is the buildings falling down. I, I thought it sounded like loud footsteps, like a a large individual with heavy boots walking through the halls of an old building and the the hard sound of each step with the echo that you would get throughout that would give you that uh, boom, 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 boom. And then there was this part that I thought sounded like a like a rocket taking off or or, or something something propelling forward. There was this fiery type sound. Um, so I, I don't know if it was people getting ready to metaphorically take this ship down into the rabbit hole and go go see what's at the end of it, or if maybe it is alluding to the end of the empire which is what we're going to get into next and that we're kind of coming to this culminating point of you know everything coming to a head and starting to fall yeah i could hear your vision of those sounds too the boots and things yeah and all of that imagery would fit the direction this album is going this next suite in the album is titled end of the empire one through four and each of those sections has a subtitle that we'll get into during our discussion this time of night and I didn't used to walk home in the morning light without you, without you. Didn't used to get so as you mentioned, we now transition into the second suite of songs, End of the Empire, on the digital copy. Parts one through three are their own track, and then they separate part four into its own track. But as we talked about earlier, the vinyl record does a little bit different, and I kind of like the way they have it laid out because these songs on End of the Empire not only follow a similar theme, they've woven them together to make it sound like almost one long song. So we'll talk a little bit about one through three, and, and then we'll transition as we go into four and just talk about this as a suite of songs because I think they really do tie together both thematically and sonically. And I have to say, I was telling you my favorite song on this album was End of the Empire, and I was thinking one through three as my favorite. I'm just going to say End of the Empire Suite is my favorite chapter of this story. I just love the sound of it, and we'll talk a little bit more about the words, but this is probably one of my favorite Arcade Fire songs if I can lump them all together as a song of all their discography. And that's saying a lot for a band that I've listened to since the early 2000s. Yeah, definitely. And I I agree with you. I, I like having it all lumped together. It does feel like this album is one long story that's broken into, I guess, five chapters. We've We've been through chapter one so far here with The Age of Anxiety. And now we're moving on to chapter two with End of the Empire. And then there's at least two, if not maybe three more chapters, depending on how you delineate the last few tracks. Mm -hmm. 
but there, there's definitely themes that connect and music that blends from one song to the next. There's tempo changes and there's vocal changes where you can tell that we're, we're moving in a, a different direction. But unlike a typical album where there's closure to a song where it fades out and then an intro where it fades into the next song, it feels more like a scene change in a movie where there there's something important, but then it slowly bleeds into a different scene and then and then to another but they all kind of tie together without much break in the action so as a listener the pace slows a little bit between the tracks and between the different sections of them but there's not enough time to really stop and think and and process what you heard before you move on to the next part so it's not really until the end of that collection of of songs or that theme where there's some space uh, to understand it all and uh, move on to the next one. Right, and there's so much to unpack with this song. I think we should start it off with a somewhat open statement from Wynn Butler himself about it, and then we can get into our interpretations as we go in the nitty-gritty. But his overarching commentary about it was just, to me, the end of the Empire isn't about now. It's about the future. It's about what's coming. I'm still waiting to wake up and check my phone and see the stock market has finally crashed. So I had that image in my head, reading his quote before really diving deeper into the words, but the overarching feeling to me on this one is that the world is ending, but he's constructed this world or held a mirror up to the world that we are living in in the first couple tracks that you have mixed feelings about that. He talks about one last dance here at the end of the empire, and he's reflecting on the world that was, watching the moon on the ocean, says where California used to be, perhaps referencing how global warming is causing the oceans to rise and maybe at this point in the not-so-distant future, California is underwater. And he's looking out realizing everything's coming to an end and maybe having mixed feelings about it. And potentially even, as we'll get into some of the other parts of this suite, having some last-minute connection with people around him before it all crumbles. That's what it felt like to me. It was this culminating moment where the world as we knew it is slowly disappearing as we watch it, and, and there's really nothing we can do about it. It's, it's being past that turning point and, and looking back and uh, thinking, what, what have we done here or what, what have we created? And you know, with the, the themes we've talked about already with anxiety, social media, political unrest, divisiveness, all, all the disconnected parts of society, it feels like we're moving toward a, a more artificial idea of this American dream or, or utopian society where, where now things are not quite as luxurious or enjoyable as they used to be. I think I saw an extended quote, or maybe it was a different quote, where Wynn was talking about the same idea that, that you mentioned. And there, there was a part where he said, it's easy to interpret everything as being about the present. And I think there's an element of that, but I think you're trying to pick up on smoke signals. And uh, as you said, you know, he mentioned that end of the empire isn't about now, but it's about the future. So this idea that the, the real goal is to pick up on warning signs, pay attention to your surroundings and be able to, to see things well enough to be able to predict the near future so that maybe you can do something about it before it's too late. And, and, and this kind of feels like maybe it's too late or it's on the brink of being too late because we had Age of Anxiety 1, 
which already felt tense and stressful that transition to the second part where we go down the rabbit hole and things are getting even more chaotic and now we're to this end of the empire which is kind of alluding to the fact that we've gone down that rabbit hole there's there's really no escaping at this point and we've um, made our bed so to speak and now we have to sleep in it kind of thing it's like you know this is what this is what uh, you focus on and put put all your your energy into and, and this is the result so you know it kind of it kind of feels like we're on the on the edge of of existence and things are about to change for the worse yeah i mean i don't know i i guess i i thought of it as kind of things were about to change but not necessarily for the worst because to me he'd set up this dystopian world already in the anxieties talking about all of the things that are distracting us from human connection and all that's coming violently crashing down in end of the empire but i think maybe the people going through it are viewing it as terrible as you might imagine you would feel if you were being attacked but looking at it from the outside like you said maybe as a warning sign to us to avoid getting to that point it's almost it's almost like a cleansing you're going to have to rebuild you have a chance for it to be different than that. And so I almost thought of it as kind of a positive thing, even though this is a sad song, especially as it gets into part two of this called Last Round. It almost sounds like a bunch of drinking buddies kind of having one last drink before it all disappears. I even thought of like the jazz band on the Titanic playing Near My God to Thee as the ship is going down. Or there's a scene in um, the play Les Miserables with all the members of the resistance getting together and having a drink before going off to battle, knowing that they're probably all going to die the next day, but just having this one last round before they go. There's something tragic, but there's there's actual human connection in this part that didn't exist in the first couple songs. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I get that as well. Uh, I think I picked up on that. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because you're right. There, there is something different about this suite, and that's why it's a, a new chapter. We're moving on from the complete social isolation, anxiety by ourselves, to maybe some sort of acceptance of the world that's been created, or maybe some infant stages of realization that we don't want to be that way and that maybe others are in the same boat and now whether things are about to crumble or it's the turning point and we're going to move on from here at least we're starting to see people interacting uh whether they're on a suicide mission together as uh it alludes to in part three of this um suite here or they're going to come together unite and and fix this situation, turn it around, at least they're interacting. 
well as, as part one is subtitled Last Dance. It, it kind of feels like that last chance to go out and take pictures of, of the world as we know it because it's not going to be there much longer or, or have a drink with our, our buddies because they might not be there fairly soon. But what, what you mentioned about there being some s- sense of relief or uh, a cleansing part of this experience is kind of interesting also uh, because again in the the first part of this song we we hear reference to the war I, I think that's come up at least once if not twice already on this album to this point and we were we were thinking that has to do with the, the war of humanity against itself or being disconnected isolated going down the rabbit hole and I think there was there was the line about finding the journal of, of somebody that's who right. had been crying in their bed and just writing their thoughts down and and that you might discover that after the war and read about all this stuff and we weren't sure what that was referencing but perhaps if it's not a physical destruction but more one of emotional trauma damage the 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 psychological elements of this social war maybe in a way it's necessary for things to come to a head and finally explode and that, that's kind of an extreme idea. But as I'm saying this now, I'm thinking about that same idea that people started throwing around with COVID and, and the lockdowns and giving up so many elements of what we used to consider a normal part of our life. It gave people a chance to sit down and think about what they really wanted, maybe what they were missing. Maybe it was a job that, that they had been doing for years that they finally had a forced break from. And they had this epiphany moment where they said, you know what, I don't want to do that job anymore. I'm going to go do something totally different. Or maybe they start to travel and they realize that they, they were missing that part of them. Or, or perhaps they're, they're not going out anymore, partying and drinking and stuff because the bars were closed. And they, they realize, hey, that's not something I really need in my life. I feel better now without it. I mean, there, there's so many different culture shocks and, and changes to the, to the system, to our routines that happened because of COVID. And in a way, it was kind of this social war or a great reset uh, that I've heard people throw around where we were forced to just stand still for a minute and and not do much of anything and then slowly over time we were allowed to do a little bit more and rebuild our, our lives or put the pieces back in that that we want maybe before COVID there were 20 pieces to the puzzle and things got extremely simplified when the pandemic hit But then as we're given more privilege and ability to start getting back to some kind of normalcy, we can take those pieces and decide if we want that same puzzle or want to throw some of them away or put them in a different order. But it it was kind of this this forced opportunity to to look within not only your own life, but those people around you and the world as a whole and uh, start to really dive deep into what you want out of out of your life. Yeah, I mean, this song started out so sad. One last dance. And it was just, I mean, after the anxiety ones, too. And at this point, I was like, I love Arcade Fire and their ability to do this, but this one one might be heavy. I, I might have a hard time getting through this album. But as it transitioned into that last round where it sounds like they're, you know, kind of buddies drinking together, and then part three where you said that line of a you know, suicide mission baby by my side and it just it almost sounded like they were just kind of like fuck it you know tear it down let's start over <laughs> right. um, yeah. and I, and it actually ended up making me feel happy I, I feel like I needed it after the, that anxiety ridden first two tracks um, just just the way this one 
built slowly over time, you know, including all four parts that we'll get into later for the fourth part here. Just this this song had so many parts of it, and, and I ended up feeling better after this song than I did for the first two. It, it weirdly brightened my spirits, a song about an apocalyptic end to planet Earth. Yeah, I, I would I would agree, too. My, my mood definitely started to perk up a little bit listening to this section. Anxiety really, really felt like just that and and it was tense and the the pace was being pushed and it was it was probably getting my heart rate up a little bit the end of the empire even even though it is kind of a dismal idea uh yeah there was something kind of joyful about just maybe letting that weight go and saying okay it it is what it is let's just kind of accept it and and make the most of it and, and move on from here that tipping point and, and also the, the realization moment where maybe people are about to, to change their their ways and, and make a turn for the better. Yeah, and I was thinking even musically, you know, it changes because there's that really heavy synth beat in Anxiety 2 as we're going through the rabbit hole and a lot more organic instrumentation on this song. And I think I can pinpoint my favorite part of this album and it would be when the brass starts coming in on part two, right around the part where it says, and, and we know it's time to go, and things start getting picking up a little bit at that part, and you hear the, the saxophone coming in in mm-hmm. the background. Yeah, just felt like a little part. bit more, for lack of a better term, it felt more human, a break from mm-hmm. all the technology that you hear more of in the first two tracks. That's uh, something, I don't know if there's any relevance here, but in Age of Anxiety 2, there's that line that says, fell asleep to the television, wake up sleepy head. And then here in... He says, you know, I can't sleep uh, with the television yeah. on. Yeah, in uh, part three. Part three. I, yeah. I think I, 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 I thought about that too. I think maybe that's it is... that's like a, a shift where... Right, it's like a different state of mind. Yeah, was getting wrapped up in the TV before yep. and now he yep. can't anymore. Like he's... He's kind of snapped out of it. Now he's aware that you know he he needs to, he needs to be awake and see what's going on and not just fall asleep into this daydream of of the TV and the rabbit hole of all this mindless stuff that doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's I think all three sections that we've talked about so far, we haven't really gotten into the fourth yet, but one through three all, all kind of have their theme within a theme, uh, if you will. One being the, the last dance, it's that acknowledgement that maybe this is the, the last time to see the world, to be together. So what are you going to do about it? And and the second part is that last round. So that's where it kind of feels like a, a party. It feels like you're having fun. You're going out, having some drinks. And then... Part three, I don't know if we've mentioned it yet, but it's subtitled Leave the Light On. I think that's my favorite of the three. We've talked about the, the part, but I don't think we mentioned that it's titled Leave the Light On. So we go from last dance to last round to leave the light on, and it it slows down. It's a little, I don't know if melancholy is, is the right word, but from the the high energy party type feel of part two, to the beginning of part three, it really slows and it feels kind of, I don't know, mellow in, in comparison. It didn't used to get high. 
didn't used to drink, didn't used to think I could ever dream about losing you. So maybe that's the the aftermath. They, they've accepted that this might be our last dance. Well, let's just forget about it and go out and have a good time, take some shots and whatever it is, what it is. If the world's going to end as we know it, let's just go out with a bang. But then you wake up the next day, maybe, maybe they'll leave the light on. Part three is a little bit like a hangover. And now he's reflecting on what's actually happening. There's, there's a mix of emotions from thinking about losing the world as we know it, maybe losing a specific person, a loved one, having your, your last anything with, with anybody or, or anything that's, that's near and dear to you, whether it's a, it's an activity or a place or whatever to then in the chorus, feeling a little more upbeat. Uh, like you were saying, it's you and I, it's do or die suicide mission, baby by my side. You know, e- even though the, the words are not really alluding to a, a pleasant situation, the music kind of feels like there's some weight that's been lifted and you know, at least they're, they're more alive and aware of the situation and they're not, they're not wrapped up in social media and their phone or, or anything that's distracting them from what's actually happening. Even if what's happening is bad, at least they can see it now. At least they're not zoned out, uh, and, and oblivious to the world around them. Yeah. I think that's a good point. It's just a little bit more reflective. You know, the first part that's kind of trying to savor that last dance and a little bit melancholy and realizing that the world's coming to an end. And then You've got that last round where everybody's drinking together and then just leave the light on is just that reflection. Yeah, maybe morning after. So the last part that I, that I found interesting of, of this little section, I guess we're, we're going to move on to four, which we haven't talked about yet. Uh, it seamlessly weaves in with one through three, but there's definitely a, a shift in music and uh, it's it's the same kind of theme, but it feels different for whatever reason. And, and on the digital, it was put as its own track, even though it, it uh, ties in musically and thematically. But the last thing on this first section one through three here that, that I wanted to mention was that that softly spoken in the background words of leave the light on. I liked the way he ended that. Yeah, it, it almost sounded like a like a request, like somebody was scared to be left alone in the dark mm-hmm. or something, you know, like suicide mission, we're all in this together. Let's just go out and party and almost be aware of it, but don't let it control you too much. But then, you know, maybe reality hits in and you're feeling kind of alone again. Maybe others are going their separate ways or things are starting to fall apart. And, you know, your last request is, well, you know, can you leave the light on? Because if I'm going to be in here by myself, I don't, I don't want to be alone. Like we just got a taste of human interaction again. And and Mm -hmm. I know what it's like to be alone in my head and, and uh, have all these thoughts of anxiety. We've already been through that in the the first chapter of this story here. And um, it's like, maybe, maybe it was too late, but they connected and realized at the last minute due to trying times, hey, the world is falling apart. And I miss, I missed this. I miss being with people, being connected and having a good time and and sharing those joyful times with others and not being so wrapped up in my own world. Maybe it took getting to a place where that was almost potentially going to be extinct for those to realize that we're really missing out on that. And we need that more than anything. But if it is too late and now you're in the dark, it's going to be a scary place. So 
at least at least don't leave me in here alone in the dark leave the light on you know so he can not feel scared but then also maybe be able to see what what's happening out in the world around and potentially step in and do something about it try to try to reverse things it's it's almost like that moment where that that mindset shifts and you really want to do everything you can to salvage what you have or or somehow fix and restore and get back to the way things uh, used to be. Yeah, salvage what you have, I think, is a good phrase that ties right in with, I got one life and half of it's gone. Right, yeah. I think that's exactly what that line harkens for me, is uh, getting into my later 30s here, just trying to salvage, keep keep what you got left, enjoy and, and appreciate it. And for somebody in the character in this song that's been kind of turned off this long to just have a moment as the world is ending to have that realization he wants that light left on. I unsubscribe transition into part four. This one's parenthetically Sagittarius A. And as I had read a little quote from Win Butler prior to parts one through three of four, he said, the end of the empire is four parts. We had the first three parts and it was already six and a half minutes. For some reason, I just knew there was a fourth part to it. And I had this index card that said Sagittarius A, which is a black hole in the middle of our solar system. I just had the card on my wall and I would just walk by it. As soon as I was vaccinated and able to travel, I went with my son to go visit my parents because I hadn't seen them in a long time. I went back to their house in Maine and I brought my four track and I put it in the basement of their house and ran a bunch of cables up to the top floor. I felt like I was 15. It was exactly like the shit I would do when I was 15. I was like, mom, I'm working on this song. We would play Sagittarius A or part four together. There were a couple other songs that I did these four track recordings of playing it with her and it sort of helped me to work through it and to just figure out what it is. This part of the track, this transition was really an attention grabber as well with the repeated phrase, I unsubscribe. I mean, he he says it with such conviction. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like spoken word. It it just really sounds like like he, he means it, like that's that's the decision that he's come to. That's the conclusion after all that we've gone through so far. Okay. The answer is I unsubscribe. Yeah. You know, obviously we can make that connection with, with social media and Facebook and, and groups and, and things like that. But is, is there a deeper meaning to that? I mean, what, what were your first impressions of hearing that repeated simple phrase? I unsubscribe. Yeah. I mean, that's the most powerful thing I think somebody can say who's been inundated with you know, if this person in Anxiety Part 1 and 2 is had their humanity basically stripped away by all of these distractions, for lack of a better term, them's fighting words for somebody that is completely void of any other way to reject those things that have essentially made them who they are. That's their way to say, I, I don't want any part of that anymore. But I, I like it because it's somewhat ironic. It's still clearly somebody that is trying to find something more human to say in that moment, but it's what's left of them crying out for not wanting it anymore. Just saying, F all of that. I'm just going to walk away and uh, throw my phone in the trash and and um, try to go back to the basics. Yeah, I think it took something like the, the war 
or the apocalyptic end of this empire that these four songs are about for this person to finally snap out of it, all that anxiety and distraction, and to say, I, I'm un- I unsubscribe. And then he speaks for somebody else saying, she unsubscribes, high on her own supply, again, maybe something that an algorithm is feeding her. She says, the air we're breathing is from an exhaust pipe, just a prototype. So again, just somebody that's finally awakened to the fact that all of this is fake and polluted. High on her own supply. She says there's diamonds in your eyes. What does that mean? That they have their eyes on the prize, that they're wanting more, seeking something better, trying to upgrade? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it, maybe it's her recognizing that somebody's trying to trick her saying there's diamonds in your eyes. And what did you make of that line? Just a prototype that we're all kind of pawns in this game and that it's all kind of fake? Yeah, exactly. So the Matrix was right. (laughs) And in verse 2, he's talking again about being middle-aged. That's when Butler is. And then again, making references to ancient mythology, saying Virgil said, let's take a ride. Virgil was an ancient Roman poet and a character in Dante's epic poem, The Inferno. And he acts as a guide to Dante as he explores the afterlife. Um, So that next line, you'll need a divine guide because the Inferno's hyperdrive. So he ties in elements of that book, Inferno, here, as he has with some other mythological references earlier. We have to mention Regine's contribution here with, with all the refrains of unsubscribe, ain't no way of life, don't believe the hype her voice is really pretty she's really singing on this one yeah yeah she's really grown as a vocalist i think throughout their discography there's a song coming up i think i mentioned to you is my favorite of her songs that she sings lead on she always takes lead i think on every album at least on one and some of the earlier albums she's got kind of a um jarring voice that sounds interesting to contrast some of the music in the album but I don't think I would have used the word pretty before and in this album I agree with you there's a lot of moments where her voice is very very beautiful yeah I think in that that song that uh, we're going to talk about later that she sings lead on I think I do hear parts of what you were describing. How, how did you say that her voice is kind of... Jarring or... Jarring, yeah. yeah. And it's yeah, not yeah. a bad thing. I mean, you, you no. want something to kind of stand out and make you listen, but it, it pretty is just never a word I would have put to her vocal styles, but she's, right. she can do it. Um, and I think I'm seeing more of it as, as the discography has gone on. Yeah, when, when she sings lead later in the album, there is kind of that jarring, pressing quality. Mm-hmm. There's not really an emphasis on a, a pretty sound. It's more about the message, the words, just kind of speaking and singing it. Uh, maybe not worrying so much about the notes being perfect, but a lot of the parts where she's singing backup vocals, it it really is elegant on this album. I I think it's it's a very high pitched but but pretty on the ears kind of sound. It's not not too much, but it's like. It's, and it's not it's not falsetto it's just like a very light soprano tone but it's it's just easy it's easy on the ears and it it pairs really well with uh Wynn's voice i agree i read the description of 
his inspiration for the, this part four and Sagittarius A. I didn't know there was a black hole in the middle of our solar system. Did you? I'm not a scholar on the on the issue, but I've heard people talk about it. I guess I just I didn't know what Sagittarius A was that that was news to me. I think there's a lot of black holes that exist. Yeah, I mean, I knew they're out there. I guess I just didn't know we had one in our solar system with a name. And the inspiration for this song is, I think he said he kind of imagined escaping into it. And this mm-hmm. person that's trying to get out of this dystopian world that is maybe in the not-so-distant future thought, well, maybe, maybe we'll just go in there. We don't know what's there, but we'll just take this journey and see where we end up on the other side. It's got to be better than where we are. Wynn had said, I think the journey of the record, the first half is imagine the characters like, get me the fuck out of here. Get me off this planet. Get me out of my own skin. Get me away from myself. I don't want to be here. It's anxiety and it's depression and it's heaviness. It's the weight of the world. And he looks at the black hole like, well, maybe if I go through that black hole, that would be far enough away. And when he gets there, he finds that it's himself and it's everyone he ever loved and the lives of his ancestors. There's nothing to escape because it's all the same thing anyway. We unsubscribe. Fuck season five. Anyway. What do you think about season five? Well, in, in reading a little bit about their history, they're their fifth album wasn't received very well. I thought maybe it was a playful jab at themselves of what their critics were saying, kind of mocking them, like, you know, maybe trying to discredit them or or poke the fun right back, like how people can write them off so quickly or be judgmental that their fifth album wasn't as good as the others or had a message that wasn't received well. I didn't really read into it too much, but I know that they caught some flack over the last album. It I don't know, it could just mean you were wrapped up in a Netflix uh, series and you decided you're you're going to unsubscribe from everything. So even if season four is really good, fuck season five. I'm, <laughs> I'm done with this thing. I'm, I'm moving on from, you know, whatever was <laughs> taking up all my time. Oh, I like that. I didn't even think about that because he's, he's being <laughs> That's awakened. That's what I initially thought. Yeah. And then I was reading it, reading about how their, yeah. their fifth album had all this criticism. And I thought, well, maybe that was just like a, a fun way of them to you know mock their critics and be yeah like, yeah it could be both whatever say what you want it could be both i like i like your original interpretation because it is like this person <laughs> that was just sort of awakened in the moment like who would walk yeah. away from after four seasons and just be like all right, right I'm, yeah. I'm, uns- I'm unsubscribing now <laughs> yeah like that was the first thing on their on their bucket list when i when i go see what's on the other side of this black hole and get back i'm I'm binge watching season five, <laughs> and then then they get to the end of the ra- the rabbit hole, and they're like, "Damn it, it's the same shit down here too." Well, fuck all of it. I'm just I'm gonna start over and go do something radically different because <laughs> it's not working. I love I'm it. not happy. I'm anxious. I'm stressed, and so is everybody else. So I love it. That's great. <laughs> I wanted to mention a, a couple more things before we move on here. I, I like the music change from the chorus where it was very direct messages and a, a stern singing quality with with lines like midway through life unsubscribe you know it sounds um 
Yeah, there's a choral element to that. Yeah, yeah it's like very, very choral driven and, yeah. and uh, you know, planned and rehearsed and, and calculated. But then it, it transitions later in the song to this this playful uh, back and forth of little black space between the stars. Dream of crashing, it's close to One crash child, one on the way. Like kind of silly, like a, like a, I don't know, like a, not really a children's song, but just it's different. It just feels different. So I like that switch. It's not the first time they've done in this album, uh, where they can stay on the same theme but move to a, a different vocal quality or, or musical sound altogether. And then the other part that I that I want to talk about that wraps up this song and this side of the album is the last verse that goes. And the space where they say heaven has gone away, Sagittarius A. We'll see one day what's on the other side. And that's how End of the Empire 1 through 4 finishes. And that's how side A ends as well with what's on the other side. So we'll see what's on the other side of the the black hole or, or maybe the, the newborn child, Sagittarius A. We'll get to experience this changing world. Uh, maybe it's the other side of life. You know, they're they're midway through life. They're having a child, and now they're going to see what life is like on that other side as they move forward. There's so many ways you can interpret that within the themes of the album so far. We'll see one day. It's on the other side. But it's also kind of cool that it's ending side A. So, can I can I do the flip the record? Yeah, thing? yeah. I, I'm I'm okay. totally hearing what you're about to do, and I'm excited. Do All it. right. <laughs> so the first half of the album ends with "We'll see one day what's on the other side," and we're gonna do the same now and flip the record over and see what's on side B. Is that the first time you've ever gotten to flip the record? I th- I think it is. It felt yeah. good, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, I feel special. part of the record we go lightning one and lightning two are actually the lead singles from their album that was released before we was actually released to the public as a album in full 
And this was the one I think he made reference in the history where a bunch of fans across the U.S. and Canada received postcards with the phrase, we missed you, followed by musical notes. And I think the musical notes were from one or both of these lightning tracks, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm not sure if those music notes were from a specific song, but it definitely could have been this one. This is one of those highlight tracks from this album. And this is the turning point as we move on to side B here, where the general tone or sentiment of the album and the mood switches to a little bit more of a positive light. Uh, This song starts out by saying the sky is breaking open, we keep hoping. In the distance, we'll see a glow, lightning light our way to the black sky, turns back to indigo. I kind of took that line, like this relentless pursuit of happiness or the ups and downs of life where you're continuing to push through and there's a little bit of optimism, but at at the same time, you're kind of making it through the night to see another day and and, uh, keeping the hope alive that that eventually you'll you'll, you'll make it through and, and, and come out in a better place eventually. Yeah, I guess if I have to sum this song up in one phrase, it just sounds like starting over to me, and it feels like a new society is being born out of the ruins of the prior society. They've traveled through some black hole or wormhole, and they've ended up in a new place or maybe the same place but with a different perspective, and they're trying to rebuild, start over, throw off some of the things that were the distractions in the first world or we could say our current world, and this one, it's like they're rebuilding, trying to start over without all of those things. There is kind of this idea that they're not quite there yet, though. We can make it if you don't quit on me. I won't quit on you. Don't quit on me. There's a little bit of hope and optimism, but it it still seems like failure is an option. They haven't quite turned the page yet to the point where they're moving forward with some confidence that that they've made it through this difficult time. Yeah, it's like they're in in the rubble here. They mentioned that there's a fourth place anthem on a broken radio. It's like they're bonded by the fact that they have nothing but each other to start this new thing over. And I guess that's kind of the theme is that that's really all that we need. Not all these things that distract us from that personal connection. But on the other hand, there really is nothing. I mean, they're, they are starting from scratch. So just like you said, it's like there's hope, but there's a long way to go. Yeah. And this is, this is kind of our take on the song based on the the context of the the rest of the album and and breaking it up into two parts with the theme that we talked about in the, in the first section where the the world is self-destructing and now here on the other side of the album we're starting to see some hope and the central piece of that is is unity and coming together supporting each other being there for each other treating people well and and coming together to to do things as a unit as a group as opposed to being so isolated individualized and separated from each other but there's a a story underlying this song that that inspired Um, these lyrics and that can probably be highlighted most in the line we were born in paradise beneath a poison sky we were born in paradise beneath the poison sky under a bad sign the microwave to gemini and we are still unlearning 
that's referring to the the irony of the, the fact that the U.S. is considered such a great place, but at the same time, it's difficult for immigrants to come here. The song lyrics were largely inspired by the Haitian immigrants that had gathered on the U.S. border uh, when they heard of the 2020 U.S. election results. Wynn Butler sums this up in a quote that I found online. He states, what was in my head when I was singing that song was all the Haitians at the border trying to get into the U.S. who had taken a boat from Haiti to Brazil and then walked or had taken a train all the way to the Mexican border just to find a better life for your family. Imagine what it would take, the bravery. The governor of Texas can honestly, I don't hate a lot of people, but I hate that mother effer. I don't even believe in hell, but if there's a hell, that mother effer's going there just to meet people with the absolute absence of compassion, these fake effing Christians. That's not necessarily what the song's about, but that was what was in my head. What does it mean to not quit and to reach the end and then to be turned back and you still can't quit because you still have your family. So then you get sent back to where you started and you still can't give up because it's still your life and it's still your family and and you're still fighting for survival. So I I don't know when exactly this song was written or when when it was uh, formulated, but it sounds like either it took on a second meaning to to win or it it hit home a little deeper when when he heard about this or he just made that connection as it fits within the album. But I wanted to point that out because you know, that's kind of a deeper underlying layer of this song. Yeah, and with particular personal ties to his wife Regine's Haitian heritage. I was drawn to that line, the micro-age of Gemini. I wasn't sure what that meant. I know we've been talking about how Wynn is throwing in a lot of metaphors with astrological and Greek mythology, and the micro-age of Gemini is, I guess, an astrological term for a period of years, and it began in December of 2014, and I guess this period is going to be ending in November of 2029, and it's described as a period accompanied by major shakeup of mainly Western culture, and the ripples of this cultural shakeup are still strongly affecting society today. Yeah, that was an interesting use of astrology to throw that in there, I kind of like that. There's another line after that that uh, isn't totally clear. It says, and we are still unlearning, ties are burning in the middle of Rodeo Drive. Isn't that a famous drive in uh, LA area? Yeah, it's, it's located in Beverly Hills. So I think imagining that being burned down, like burning tires in the middle of Rodeo Drive would be like, you know, it'd ah, be like right. somebody spray painting the Louvre or something like that. It's Yeah, it'd, I gotcha. Yeah, so not, not even really cherishing or protecting some of those really nice areas. That's what I'm envisioning there, yeah. There was another part later in this song that I found interesting. Lyrics read, it's not up to you. Some you win, some you lose. You don't get to choose. And then the echo after that is when the lightning comes. I love Regine's vocals on that part. Oh, that's her, right? In the right, uh, right. When the lightning the comes, part. That's yeah. her. Yeah, I forgot that. Yeah. You think in that sense, lightning is good or bad? You know, people will talk about the, the strike of lightning to initiate something, or how things can be going well, and you never know when you're going to get struck by something bad. 
I think with the preceding lines, some you win, some you lose, it's supposed to be both. Okay. Because lightning uh. can be very destructive, but even with like the beginning of evolution, it, don't some people speculate that it was a spark of lightning or something that might have started some chain reaction for life or you know there's i think there's some new beginnings that we've talked about in prior parts of this song that could be related to that but also yeah, yeah. today's versions of it we tend to think of it as something pretty destructive so yeah and then from here we transition into titled the lightning two and the pace picks up pretty quick with a one two three four to end lightning one second part of the lightning here is a day a week a month a year it reminded me a lot of how blurred time had felt during the pandemic i know we talked about this a lot of this music being written during that time but i don't know about you but there was a period of time and and i was still going into work as an essential worker in healthcare. but even still it just felt like time had a weird expansive and contractiveness where it's like sometimes it felt like a year had gone by in a month and sometimes it felt like only a month had gone by in the entire year. It was a very strange time. So that's the part that stuck out the most to me, knowing that this was written in that time period. Yeah, and that feeling can be there in lots of d different uh, aspects of life or times in people's lives when it, it feels like you're stuck in the middle of something where you're struggling or you're working or you're hoping or longing for something. It, it can feel like time gets out of reach of, of your control and and it just keeps going every second brings me here is, is how they finish up after after repeating that a day a week a month a year it kind of feels like you're going in circles and you're still in the same spot i don't think at this point in the album the the plot has has turned yet to a very confidently optimistic or hopeful situation you know that they're, they're working they're not giving up but at the same time it's work you know like you're stuck in this relentless uh, pursuit of whatever it is going in circles and time is passing and you just keep pushing on yeah and now that i think about it there's a contrast that feels like to me between not only in the pace but the message of number one versus number two because it did feel like right when we passed through the wormhole from the first part of the record to the second from the i to the we there was hope yes they didn't have anything concrete going but you know damn it they were going to make it if they didn't quit, you know, just keep going. And now it kind of feels like they're waiting for help, you know, waiting on the lightning. What will the answers be? Yeah, 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 I see that. And I think in part one, it, it's chaos and it's lack of hope and uh, uncertainty and isolation and, and lots of things that that never really facilitate a good positive outcome. Here we've gotten to the point where they've set themselves up for 
success in some way or another. They're they're working. They're they're open minded, optimistic, positive, but they're still waiting for that that moment, that strike of lightning, or or something to click. They need some sort of outside force. It's just not quite fully there yet, but it's getting there. Right, right. First two, he says, I heard the thunder and I thought it was the answer, but I find I got the question wrong. I found that one interesting. I thought about it for a while and then I was reading uh, someone else's interpretation of that. I found it fascinating. They said, as some philosophers have pointed out, sometimes existential problems are created because of the way we ask questions, which make no sense or cannot be answered in the way we ask them. Ludwig Wittgenstein's approach to philosophy uh, seems to mirror Wynne Butler's feeling of not having asked the right question. So if you're, if you're not seeking for the, the proper answer because you haven't asked the right question, then you don't ever really find it. I remember you texting me about that. Yeah, I think we were both kind of trying to think of what that might mean. One other thing I, I thought more s- simplistically, waiting on the lightning, waiting on the light uh, specifically could be because he, he flips that back and forth. He says, waiting on the lightning, waiting on the light, what will the light bring? It could simply mean what what will tomorrow bring? Because in the in the previous, so, well, not really the, the previous song, in the same song, but part one of, of this track, Lightning One, he talks about getting through the dark, making it through the night waiting for the black sky to turn back to indigo perhaps the connection here what will the light bring you know you're, you're up at night it's dark you're tossing and turning and thinking about whatever's on your mind whatever you're trying to accomplish and and simply just wondering what tomorrow will bring uh, you know making it making it through another day and just continuing to push on a day a week a month a year you know just trying to stay positive and, and wait uh, for that lightning to strike to you know help move you forward into a, a different um, dimension, whatever, whatever you're you're trying to achieve. Yeah, there's still some hope that they'll get there, but it does feel like, at least at the second part of Lightning, it's a little out of their hands, or it's perceived that way to these people trying to start over. But nonetheless, I, I think in the grand scheme of the, the album, the conceptual themes here, this seems like the, the turning point. I don't know if we get all of the details from here going forward, there's a few tracks missing or, or a couple chapters that have been ripped out of the book, if you will, that, that don't fully get us past that point over that hump uh, to where we are optimistic or, or uh, together as a people and, and moving forward, putting everything behind us and knowing that we have turned that page. But the the next track that we're, we're about to talk about here, Unconditional One with the, the subtitle uh, Lookout Kid, it, it kind of feels like we're over that hump by then. And I don't know for sure how we got there, but when we move on to this track and as we finish out the album here, it, it has a more positive, enlightening, open, heartfelt feeling uh, and, and emotion to the words and, and to the music. And it's, it's more peaceful and relaxed. It feels like we're past the, the point of anxiety and, and, and all the isolation and a lack of unity to the lightning where we, we kind of piece together what what we want or, or what the recipe looks like the formula to to try to move forward and then by the next track unconditional one i feel like we're there and i'm not i'm not totally sure how we got there but it kind of feels like this is the point where we we have figured out what's important in life what we really need and that's to love each other unconditionally and and come together and be one as a people and, and this next track uh is the 
the first representation of that uh, on this album. Look out, kid, just your heart. You don't have to play the part they wrote for you. Just be true. There are things you could do that no one else on earth could ever do. But I can't teach you. I can't teach it to you. Uh, I'm French, so sorry for my English, but uh, I really love this album too, so I wanted to have my contribution and would like to share my point of view about uh, Unconditional. It's like this song was talking to me, because I'm a dad, I suffer sometimes of anxiety, and uh, I was wondering what I could told to my son after, later, um, depending on what is happening and uh, suddenly this song happened and it, it really talks to me and felt like I have to sing this song to my two sons so it told me and it tells me that I'm not alone to, to think this and there's something to tell to our sons that we, we can do something what you were saying in the lead up to us playing that little clip of this one here unconditional one yeah the record flip is a transition but it feels like the beginning of it it's like a group of people trying to start over at least they've thrown off the distractions and then there's still some uncertainty and confusion about where this new society is going to go but now i think there's another transition here as we get into these two unconditional tracks about it being more personal. It's more one-on-one, -on -one, these relationships. And of course, I was drawn a lot to this first one, Unconditional. He's writing to his son in this song. And I suppose it's Wynne Butler and Regine, um, if she's contributing lyrically here at all, writing about their son. But I think it's also supposed to be maybe just a father and son in this new society. And so maybe he had to go even more inward. First, they had to throw off all of these distractions and social media and all of these things that are supposedly signs of a progressive society they had to strip those away and that was step one but the second step really I guess was maybe going to these individual relationships one-on-one -on -one, you know father-son and that's what this song sounds like to me yeah I figured this song would hit home with you with having a, a newborn so, well, not newborn anymore, I guess. He's mm -hmm. about a year and a half old. A year huh? and a half yesterday, yeah. actually. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, I figured you would you would think about little Will and uh, listening to this song. I, I think I told you the first time I listened to this album, I was on my way to work, and I cried. And, and it was because of this song. It's it's not my favorite track necessarily on the album, but it, it really hit me emotionally. I think I was already wrapped up into the, the song because of the, the first part of the album grabbing my attention and just getting me glued to the music and wanting more and it was all fairly intense even even the lightning it's a fast-paced song and then this one it, it feels like a reprieve in the album where you're able to just breathe and focus in on the lyrics and not be so overwhelmed by by the music that accompanies them Th this really just feels like a song that's supposed to be a broad stroke of a, of a lesson or like kind of a a general overview of advice in life let's say for for some terrible reason you were 
not going to be there to see your child grow up and to be able to to raise them and be there along the way every 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 step every year it feels like you you could just kind of lay this song there and say hey you know here's the nuts and bolts like this is some basic stuff i want you to remember this is really important you know because some of the some of these things that he's talking about you know like trust your heart you, you don't have to play the part they wrote for you you know just be true to who you are you know there are things that you could do that that no one else on earth could ever do He's talking about some pretty deep things that a child would not understand, but they will over the course of their lifetime. So I kind of feel like in a way this is just laying out some some groundwork or guidelines like, hey, I want you to at least know this. Like, I want to leave this for you. This needs to be in a stone. seems like the message really is just live you know just experience everything a lifetime of skin knees heartbreak feel it live it be it and again in contrast to all the distractions and everything from the first half of the album that pull us out of reality this one is kind of embracing it and trying to send that message to the next generation in this new world i suppose in this world that they've created within this album it's almost like the this next generation that has stripped away these distractions, that's the, that's the message they want to send to their kin is experience life. Don't get sucked in and turn your brain off and plug into the metaverse, so to speak. Yeah, and, and be yourself too. Don't be influenced by all these other people and, and social media. I mean, I think, I think this, in a way, ties back to part one. Now that, now that I think about it, if you're a, a, a parent in this, this world and you've lived through what part one was talking about, a society that's distant from each other, isolated, anxious because of all the comparisons and this pressure to achieve and and, uh, present yourself a certain way. I mean, I, I know those are probably some stretches from the actual lyrics of this album, but when we think about social media as a whole, there's a, there's a lot of temptation to conform and do what other people want you to do or you know for you to base your life on what others think might be the way to do it or or what's cool you know to where you might purchase a a vehicle because of the way others may perceive you in that because you want to be represented a certain way not necessarily because you really want to drive that car you might wear a, a certain outfit or dress a certain way because you know you have this idea of wanting to not necessarily fit in with somebody but be perceived by others as something you want to be viewed as but it may not be trusting your heart and being true to yourself because sometimes those things don't add up and and at the end of the day you may end up being somebody deep down inside you're actually not because of this pressure of of social media and wanting to fit in which really is nothing new it's always been there but it, it seems like it's magnified and it's on a different scale now with 12 year old kids videotaping themselves constantly taking photos wanting to look a certain way and and snapping them to their friends and posting them on instagram and and uh, seeing what their other friends are doing i mean it's it's not what we grew up with trevor you and i you know being mid late 30s we didn't have all that stuff when we were kids and, and so I, I i think kids are growing up in a different 
age now and there's pros and cons to having all of that technology and social media and ability to connect. But I think here this is win coming from a, a person who's lived in, in different periods and uh, has seen some of the, the bad that can come out of you know everything that we, that we've talked about in this album and you know deep down he's saying to his son you gotta trust your heart don't let other people influence you too much you know stay true to yourself and realize that there's things that you can do that nobody else can do there's um, powers and, and abilities and skills and knowledge that you have that's special to you and you know your job is to explore those and figure out what innate gifts you have deep down inside uh, and you know find your way in the world and that's not always something that somebody else can totally guide you um, to figure out you kind of gotta do that on your own yeah and I think he's revisiting some themes that he wrote into one of Arcade Fire's most famous songs called Wake Up that really is all about children coming into themselves, figuring out who they are. And that was on their first album, Funeral. I know you weren't familiar with Arcade Fire much that you knew of anyway before diving into this one. But you had mentioned earlier, I I made you a little best of. And that song's definitely one of them on there. I imagine you might have heard that one before. Um, I know it was soundtrack to a Where the Wild Things Are movie that came out around the same time. I feel like it's been on some commercials and stuff. It's one of their biggest hits, and there's definitely some themes that correspond with this song, though I don't think they were parents at the time. So I wonder if just revisiting some of those thoughts seem more relevant at this point as parents too, but I couldn't help but think about that song, Wake Up, very similar message to that one. Yeah, you know, I, I enjoyed this album so much that I went back and listened to all of their others. And I do remember hearing that song yeah, uh, prior, okay. prior to exploring this Arcade Fire album. And yeah, I do I do see those connections there. I wanted to share a, a quote that kind of sums up what uh, we were talking about there. Speaking to Radio X's George Godfrey, Wynn Butler revealed that we have a nine-year-old who's a really amazing dude who we spent a lot of time with and I was sort of thinking about the world that he's going to face. Butler added, when I was a teenager, high school was just a gauntlet and I was thinking about just how complicated it's gotten socially. You really need thick skin and to be able to take a hit and know that you're loved and know that love is not based on test scores or how good you are at something, that there's something that's deeper. And you know, unconditional love is something that's difficult to tackle which is why we took an entire side of a record to try and tackle it. So there you go. That kind of tells you what the the general theme of this uh, second half of the album was kind of geared toward. And then on the band's social media page, Wynn Butler spoke a little more about this song. He said, There's nothing saccharine about unconditional love in a world that is coming apart at the seams. We need each other and all of our imperfection. Lookout Kid is a reminder, a lullaby for the end of times, sung to my son, but for everyone. Trust your heart, trust your mind, trust your body, trust your soul. Shit is going to get worse before it gets better, but it always gets better, and no one's perfect. Let me say it again, no one's perfect. Lookout Kid, trust your mind, but you can't trust it every time. You know it plays tricks on you, and it don't give a damn if you are happy. 
You know, I think I agree with that that advice. Uh, you know, trust your heart, trust your mind, trust your your body, your soul. But it's interesting in in verse two, it says, "Look out, kid. Trust your mind, but you can't trust it every time." You know, you should most of the time probably trust your gut, trust your mind, but it can play tricks on you: anxiety, panic attacks, depression. You know, all of those things. You can become overwhelmed, and and reality can be distorted uh, a little bit, but in the end, it's probably not as bad as you might be thinking. You know, like he said in a, a previous quote, shit can get worse before it gets better, but it generally gets better. So just kind of hang on and, and keep going, you know, but there will be trials and tribulations and times where you try to trust yourself, but maybe it just doesn't um, feel right or something that you can do without any hesitation. I was mentioning just live as being a underlying theme for this and maybe just keep going is another shit gets worse before it gets better, but keep going because eventually it does get better. That's actually been a text I've gotten from my dad recently throughout just becoming a parent myself and feeling so busy and trying to figure out what the next stage of my life might look like, all of these things that bringing another life brings into the picture. And my dad's given me lots of sage advice over the years, but perhaps the simplest words that he said to me that had the most impact were just keep going sometimes all that we can tell the next generation is just it's going to be okay i don't really know exactly how keep going be yourself move your hips skin your knees just just keep going i think people generally don't change too much i mean hum- human nature is is uh kind of embedded in our, our dna and i i think although we evolve as as a people and we have a, a different landscape different set of rules and and the game changes over time some of those general pieces of advice you know still hold true from one generation to the next you know raising kids nowadays although it comes with different challenges as as they grow up i mean the the first stages are probably very similar you know what what you're going through raising will is probably not a whole lot different than uh what your dad might have gone through raising you or or other people uh, raising children 40 years ago but um, it's going to be a lot different as he ages and develops and goes through uh, school and, and teen years because of the way the world has changed because of social media and the age of information and technology and and uh, all this stimulus overload I mean that that was not there life was definitely more simple when you and I were kids growing up not as many distractions not as many um, options not not you know the path was a little bit more smooth there might have been a few different directions you could go but nowadays it seems like you know there's there's an infinite amount of possibilities and uh, that's great but it also makes things really complicated too and I, I think there's a lot of kids out there that kind of have an identity crisis or something going on where they don't really know what to do because you know there's just so many different uh, possibilities so mm-hmm. with that comes kind of an added challenge. And then as a parent, you're supposed to kind of guide them through that. But if that wasn't your reality when you were a kid, then you never really experienced it yourself. So there's there's going to be some things that uh, your kids are going to go through, like like the song says, you know, about lifetime of skin, knees and heartbreak comes so easy. You're going to lose your friends again and again. And, you know, life's going to be painful. If, if it weren't, it'd be boring. Things aren't supposed to go well all the time. 
And, you know, through that experience, you learn to embrace the uncertainty, expect the unexpected. I think people have to do that more and more uh, nowadays, and kids are going to have to do that uh, more and more as they grow up. Uh, you know, but, but as the song alludes, there's, there's things that you can't fix. You can't uh, necessarily have all the answers um, to help guide every step of the way, but you can always be there for them. You can give them your heart and your, your precious time. and you know God is cool with it. It's not worth living life if you're not jumping in with both feet. And I think the part that says, you know, God is cool with it is saying any any conventional religion or anybody that tries to tell you that the creative of the universe says don't dance, which is a common, it's a common thing in certain religions, more conservative religions that wouldn't allow things like that. Saying, you know, God is cool with it is, I guess, is a way of saying if there is a greater power dancing, that would be part of what life's all about. So don't let anybody tell you otherwise. like that. I'm, I'm glad you elaborated on that because I wasn't totally sure the significance of God in that verse, but that makes total sense. The one last thing I wanted to mention about this song that I think was kind of interesting at the end. So the, the entire song is, is basically Wynn giving uh, advice to his son. Uh, he, he changes the, the words at the end from a life without pain would be boring to a life without you would be boring for someone like me. So I, I think that just goes to show how much his son means to him uh, because the entire song is providing advice for him. But then he finishes it by reflecting back on him himself and, and saying, you know, he's appreciative of his son because his life would be more boring with, without him there. Giving the advice, it's, it's showing love that you unconditionally care for somebody. But then there's also that part of I love you because you make my life less boring. And I think that part is kind of cool, too. But a life without you would be boring for someone like me. And if you yeah, in my short stint so far of being a parent, definitely they are teachers as much as you are teaching them. There's no question about it. I mean, you learn way more about yourself going through that role of being a parent than you do just about anything else. Oh, that's awesome. on to the second part of Unconditional now. This is part two, Parenthetically Race and Religion. As a longtime fan of this band, Regine is featured as lead vocalist, I think, on every album at least 
one song. And I like the other songs that she contributes lead vocals to on prior albums. But I think when you're listening to a band, you get used to one narrator, so to speak. And and sometimes it was a little bit jarring to hear her lead a song when you're kind of in the midst of, especially the way that Arcade Fire's albums go. They're very much, they're, they're very much conceptual records. So to have a new narrator within the story of the album sometimes takes me out of it a little bit or has had taken me out of, out of it a little bit. That is not the case with this one. I, I would go as far as to say this is probably my favorite Regine-led vocal track on any Arcade Fire album. One of my favorites on this album as well. Yeah, I, w- I wish she would be lead on more songs. I mean, not, not that Wynn doesn't do a good job or anything like that, but I just, I, I really like listening to her. And uh, this this was a really fun song. It was a major switch in mood and sound uh, from Unconditional 1 to Unconditional 2. I think this is the only song that starts out with drums or has that as the, the focus. It's almost got like a, a tribal feel mm-hmm. to it. You know, I, I kept listening to this song and repeat and it made me want to sing and dance and just jump around. It had a really good feel good effect, especially after Unconditional 1 because, you know, that was a very heartfelt, sentimental song. Like it, it made me stop and, and listen you know, it brought out some emotions and it, it was kind of calming in a way, but it, it was also, um, I thought about my childhood and, and upbringing growing up and some of those things that I went through and just, you know, like what my parents um, must have been going through trying to help navigate me through all those ups and downs. So you're left with this end of that song feeling of just like, wow, that was a lot. Like that was kind of, that was kind of intense to, to take that. And then we switch pace completely to this lively, upbeat, like fun, happy song. And um, I really like that musical change. I just felt like it was it was appropriate uh, transition from the, the previous one. I agree. And we have to mention Peter Gabriel as guest vocalist oh, on yeah, this song as well. Oh, yeah, for we sure. He's great. Like Regine's vocals enough on this one. You had, I mean, how can you not like Peter Gabriel vocal Icon. contribution? it interesting i'm sure you read this too that though they are canadians and we mentioned regine's haitian heritage of course too but they now live in new orleans and the intersection of race and religion is actually a street intersection in new orleans where she and win butler now live i heard about that too and i couldn't believe that i mean that that's crazy you think that's what this song is is supposed to be about just like saying that uh where they live where they come together is um you know representative of their connection or do you think it literally is talking about race and and religion or is that just a a street reference and you know like saying this is our home yeah i imagine it was inspired by that crossroads i can't imagine that was coincidence either but i think in the context of the song more broadly i think it's just mentioned i think the song is just mentioning a way to unite all humanity you know bringing those those types of things that are often divisive together i think this is just a anthem for bringing together things that are often divisive 
I think that's how I took it as well. First time listening before reading up on this song and seeing that they live on the crossroads of race, street, and, and religion. Saying I'll be your race and religion, that's that's the repeated phrase in the song, I'll be your race and religion. Uh, to me, it, it kind of means that whatever it takes to connect with you, for us to uh, come together and see each other's perspective, you know, I'll, I'll do that. I'll try to at least step into your world and understand who you are, where you where you come from, what you what you believe, some of the cultural influences on your life or some some things that make you who you are and unique or different than who I am and uh that you know if we can do that for each other, if we can a try to understand what all of those constructs mean and how they shape each other, but then also strip away any barriers wrapped up within that and see each other simply as people that's what i'm willing to do like and that's a that's a form of unconditionally uh loving or caring for somebody or genuinely wanting to get to know them you're not going to let any of those other things get in the way says we've got one life no time for division new vision be my race and religion so as you said trying to bring everybody together despite what might have been a divider before yeah i, I really like that bridge section too you know especially the the line you and me could be we echoes again could be we uh, and then that transitions into our the, the light you can't see and we this is the point in in the album in the con concept of the the society going through this difficult period where now they've overcome that anxiety they've moved beyond the the social isolation now uh, to be united with another human being and that has given them a new sense of life new vision new roots to grow and it's exciting and fresh it's full of optimism i think that's why this song feels so positive and uplifting and makes you want to dance it's like you've been stuck in this period of, of trials and tribulations the unknown and uh, you've been waiting for this lightning to strike and now it kind of feels like musically at least that it's here it's that lightning that we've been patiently waiting for after going through all of this we've arrived at this is what works and it's loving each other loving yourself and coming together um, to be we that's how we end the album final track is we would you want to get off this road with me want to get down down on you want to get off this ride with me mm. you know if i had to pick it a favorite track on the album i think i'd have to go with the the title track the last song here uh, t titled we you know, there's so many good songs on this album and it's it's difficult uh, to choose but there's something that feels culminating about this song that wraps up the entire album it's almost like you've been on this roller coaster ride of ups and downs and the emotional toil that life can throw at you and, and specifically here going through this period of isolation and anxiety and, and chaos to to figuring out that uh, you really just need to reconnect with with people 
first, I guess yourself and who you are and not be influenced by others and then share that with other people and, and seek to really get to know them and come together uh, to be we. And this, this song solidifies all of that. And it just kind of, it feels relieving. Speaking of new chapter, the, the intro to this song is French words that say, I'm going to butcher the French here, Pro, <laughs> prochaine station, which means next station. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Arcade Fire coming from a region in Montreal where French would be spoken quite a bit. Yeah, it's an actual sample from the metro station, right? Yeah, I think I read that. Okay. That's what you would hear if you were on the, if you were on the train. Definitely a, a good metaphor for turning the page and that next chapter of or next station of life wherever this main character finds themselves at the end of this album here. Verse one, uh, I want to get wild. I want to get free. Would you want to get off this ride with me? I thought that maybe was representative of, of two people going through this chaotic life, running around and just like meeting somebody that you want to share your time with and just say, hey, you want to stop like doing this crazy running around thing and let's just come together and maybe... You know, whether it's get married or start a family or buy a house or whatever, you want to get off this crazy ride and come do this uh, with me. I mean, I, I guess it probably is referring to marriage. It follows up with, I want to get down. I want to get down on one knee, alluding to the fast paced hustle and bustle of life, or maybe dating and running around and just trying to figure out who you want to be with and what you want in your life. And maybe you found that person and you say, Hey, you want to want to get off this ride with me and just kind of settle down and give each other uh, ourselves our time our attention and you know start start this life together yeah it's a proposal you know it's it's dressed up in a way that sounds romantic but you could envision it being somebody proposing that question to anybody already my favorite line from this song comes from verse three he says i already know i i want to know we because that's that's kind of a prerequisite to to getting to know somebody else you have to know who you are i also thought that maybe if we take this a step further and and uh look outside of perhaps win and regine's uh relationship or any couple saying that i already know i i want to know we it it could in a larger sense be referring to wanting to understand the world around you better, you know, taking the time to get to know people, mm, uh, yeah. you know, spending less time being 
self-centered and wrapped up in social media and worried about, you know, your image and all these things, you know, you, you spend so much things, of your they, time. Right? Yeah. You know, we spend yeah. so much of our time looking in the mirror and just trying to succeed and set ourselves up and look a certain way. And eventually that, that kind of tires and, uh, you, you realize that maybe there's more, um, to putting, putting your time and energy into learning about other people and understanding them and getting to know them and just kind of sitting down and listening, uh, to other people observing and uh, spending less time focused on yourself and worried about like molding your life and, 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 uh, remodeling and, you know, constantly working on self-improvement projects. Maybe you should be content with who you are and, and seek out others and get to know them and, and find, um, you know, more joy in that process of getting to know people. Yeah. And I wonder with the outro too, if it's kind of saying, so the outro says when everything ends, can we do it again? And I wonder if that's almost looking at this whole thing from the outside, knowing that this new civilization of people on the other side of this record through the, through the black hole, starting this new civilization, if they're really going to generations down the road, end up anywhere different than where they started, but maybe looking at it anyway and saying it doesn't matter. Let's it's still worth trying and living and experiencing all the things that led to all the pain and all the loneliness and all the sadness and everything that the first half of the album talks about, even if it ends up there. Do it again anyways. It's it's still the most that we can get out of life is trying and starting over. No matter where it takes us, when everything ends, let's do it again. sure Wynn would would be in agreement with with all of that and and what uh his vision for this album was um i found a quote i want to share that kind of sums it all up he he said i think the journey of the record the first half is imagine this character's like get me the f out of here get me off this planet get me out of my own skin get me away from myself i don't want to be here it's anxiety and it's depression and it's heaviness and it's the weight of the world and he, he looks at this black hole like, well, maybe if I could get through that black hole, that would be far enough away. And when he gets there, he finds that it's himself and it's everyone he ever loved in the lives of his ancestors. There's nothing to escape because it's all the same thing anyway. Stories and films are always building towards this big conclusion and then the credits roll. And to me, the sentiment is, let's just fucking do it again with all of it, all the pain, all the loneliness, all the sadness, all the heartbreak. I just want to do it over and over again. Just run it back. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's exactly kind of what it's, he was saying there. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I mean, that's so cool. true, though. I mean, like, like you were saying, uh, you know, earlier with your, your, your dad giving you some advice on having a, having a newborn and, and going through that process and maybe not totally understanding it, but also having a pretty good idea. I mean, 
life life goes in in circles and and things repeat themselves and you know the the highs and lows the good the bad it, it it's all there and it's intertwined and it's it's mixed within the generations and and everybody's kind of going through their own reality of all of that you know it doesn't look the same it's it's not the same uh, events and, and circumstances but deep down we're all humans and and uh we we probably have a lot more in common uh, than we realize. And there's, there's probably way more situations for us to be there for somebody else than we actually take advantage of because we feel like maybe we're not equipped to do it, but, you know, just being there to listen, um, unconditionally, you know, taking that time to get to know people and prioritizing the, we over the I, you know, if we all do that or try to do that more, you know, the world would definitely look like a better place. I think that's a great way to sum up this album. So man, that that about does it. We unpacked a, a pretty deep and powerful album. This this is a, a really good one. I I was drawn into this right away. It 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 hit me, and I I couldn't wait to go back and listen a second time when I had more time. And there was a a week there where I I had this on repeat. I don't know how many times I listened to this album, and it, it never got old. I I kept wanting more, like a good movie that you want to go back and look for little pearls along the way that you might have missed or make more connections. And I think the reason why I enjoyed it so much is because it related so much to current times that we're going through with the pandemic and, and social media and the isolation and this refiguring out process of life and, and who we are and, and what we want with our time here and, and how to interact with people and, and, and be together and, and all of that that's wrapped up in there. But then on top of that, it's it's really good musically. You know, it's fun to listen to, sing along. It has really good tempo changes. Um, I think the tracks are ordered really well. They connect. The transitions are amazing. So top to bottom, I think this is a really, really great album. And and I, I can't believe this was my first introduction to Arcade Fire from an album uh, standpoint. You know, I'd heard a handful of songs over the years, but it was never a band that I said, hey, I'm going to go dive into their discography. Uh, so I'm glad that I discovered this. And I'm also glad that, you know, it turns out you have been a big fan for a really long time and you know their previous albums and, uh, you know, you have a you have a past uh, with them. And to find out that despite the fact that you hadn't followed them for a while and, and you were a big fan of some of their older albums, you still ended up really liking this one, too. So you know, I think that's always difficult for a longtime fan to go revisit a, a new album release from a band and still like them because you kind of are connected to maybe who they were as a band or how they sounded 10 plus years ago. So, you know, I thought it was really good, but then it was like added reaffirmation, so to speak, that um, like I was correct in my thinking that, hey, this was a good album because you came back and said, yeah, you, you loved it as well. So that was cool to hear and, and made my uh, experience with this this album even more worthwhile. Yeah, that's cool. And from my perspective, you touched on it already there but I had been a fan of Garcade Fire from the beginning though I had fallen off a little bit on their last couple albums I think for a couple reasons part of it might have been that their sound had changed a little bit and I don't think I gave those albums a whole lot of time but they just didn't initially grab me and I think I was on to other things at that point and maybe just thought that I had kind of outgrown Arcade Fire or they were something that I would enjoy listening to from a nostalgia standpoint but not necessarily that they were still a relevant band making albums that I couldn't wait to listen to and so 
part of me was a little bit of afraid to dive into this one to find out maybe that was the case. What if I listen to this in my adulthood here and realize that they don't have the same impact that it did on me in my coming of age years, college and, and early 20s. But I really did enjoy this album. In fact, I have to go back and re-rank them, I suppose. But this album certainly would be in the mix with all of the other ones that I really enjoyed. And certain songs are probably some of my favorites that I've heard by the band as a whole throughout their discography. So it gives me some validation that there's still a band that I like following, still interested in hearing what they might come up with next. And maybe even makes me want to revisit those two that I didn't listen to so much prior to this one. So before we wrap up here, I, I, I thought it appropriate to finish with a, a short letter uh, that was written by Wynn Butler for this album that was included, uh, the pamphlet of the CD. My grandmother read me a book when I was a little kid that had the word we stamped into its cover in broken 1920s gold leaf. As my eyes grew heavy in the bedroom my father slept in as a child, I wondered... What is we? Who are we? There are questions that can rattle around in your head for a lifetime. But once in a while, the centuries grind to a halt, and we are given the precious time to ask again in our childlike inner voice. What is we? Hiding in the shadow of Carl Jung is the we that holds each other back and tears each other down. The we that whispers secrets and complains about paradise, even heaven is too cold. But also, it is the one of Marley, the Buddha, and Abraham. It's the lightning strike of our magic mutual creation. It's the root we share, made of the same dust as the stars we pray to. It's the dream of Martin Luther King Jr. and the iron of the nail on the church door of his namesake. It's the innocence and the mistake, the universal flaw and the perfect imperfection. The hipsters called it jazz, the hippies called it love, and we call it we. Awesome. Great way to end it. That's pretty cool. We'll move from a 2020, whatever hell year it is. (laughs) Seriously, a day a week, a month, a year. Yeah, right. We'll we'll move from our 2022 pick. You at least have to get the year right. You can can mess up the days and the the weeks (laughs) and months, but don't forget the year. All right, but we will move now to a album that's been around for a while. Yeah. That's going to be a pick from you, Shane. I'm excited. So I look forward to hearing what that is next. We'll be shifting gears a little bit, but um, it'll be a good one. I can't wait. Awesome. I'm excited. All right. Well, until next time, everybody, go listen to a great album. Peace. If you're enjoying listening to Album Divers, you can support our podcast by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing it with someone else that appreciates great music. Follow and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Album Divers. We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about our take on an album that you already loved or had never heard before. Do you have an album you want us to dive into? Email us at albumdiverspodcast at gmail.com and we'll consider adding it to our queue for a future episode. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you never stop discovering music that moves you to dive deeper. Until next time.